Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day, wherever you are in the world. My name is Herb. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is 1984, and um, I'm honored to be here. Thank you for coming. We're going to talk about the fourth step, one tiny aspect of it today column four, just to make sure that you know where you're at and at least why I'm here. Hopefully you're here for the same reason. Let's begin with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. This is a experiment today, as was last month, doing a workshop. And really, that's the key here. This is not just a presentation, although there will be some of that. This is a workshop where you're invited to do some very specific work. In the step four, inventory. But uh, we take it apart. And last month, we spent the three hours together on column three of the resentment inventory. Today, we're going to spend three hours, or at least I'm going to be here for three hours, talking about the column four inventory. Now, if you're familiar with the big book and the 12 steps in the big book and the material on resentment, but you're not familiar with the terms column three and column four, it's no wonder because those words are not used in the big book. And it's a, a vocabulary that was given to me by the people who took me through the steps at various times, especially to the first two uh, times I went through the steps, I did so with, a step guide. And uh, I'm making a distinction between a step guide and a sponsor. My sponsor was a great sponsor. I had him for 28 years. He moved out of town. So I got a local sponsor because that's my philosophy and belief system, local sponsorship for accountability purposes and eyeball to eyeball regular visits. <clears throat> and um but he didn't know much about the big book or the steps um, in the sense that I know today. <clears throat> he knew enough for his own sobriety. He had a good program and good sobriety, but he was not able to articulate the big book or help me understand the big book. And so <clears throat> I engaged a man in 1988. If you were paying attention, I said my sobriety date is 1984. I engaged a man uh, four or five years into recovery to guide me through the steps. And he spoke differently in a meeting. That's why I knew he had a different take on recovery and a different experience with the big book. I intuitively knew for some reason, that was a grace, I'm sure. And uh, as it turned out to be, he uh, was a mechanic, is a mechanic with the big book. And what I mean is he understands each of the steps. 
He understands how to apply them. He's applied them to his personal life and he's had an experience with them. And not only experience with each of the steps, but an experience with all of the steps. And the primary promise and experience that the big book gives us in step 12 is having had a spiritual awakening. He had it. The book promises it. He took me through the steps in the big book over a 12-month period, and I had it. I got sober in 1984, but I got awakened in 1988. Huge difference, which I didn't know until many years after I'd had it and looked back over my shoulder, because then I had had several consecutive awakenings. In 1988, I went through the steps in 12 months with him, and I had a broad and deep experience. And three years later, in 1991, I went through the steps, and I had a broader and deeper experience with a different man, a different step guide. And three years later, the same, broader and deeper. That second journey took six months because I was in a hurry, story for a different day. And the third time, I went through with no particular hot poker at my back. I just knew that there was more, and I was into a very contemplative mode at that point. Still am, but that was the beginning of it there. And it took two years to go through the steps. I'm only saying that to let you know that my interpretation and experience with the step process is, one, that it's a process, and that it takes time, and that it will be different at different times and stages in our lives because we're different. We have more or less consciousness each time we go through the steps. I'm not suggesting that you do the steps more than once. I'm not suggesting that. I'm not suggesting that you do the steps frequently or once a year. I am not suggesting that. Those those terms aren't in the big book. I'm a big book fundamentalist and literalist, meaning I read the text and I try to understand what the big book says and what Bill Wilson's intentions were. This is such an important introduction because of what we'll be doing in what I call column three and column four. The work I do is not as clear in the big book as I attempt to communicate it to you. It's an expanded third column. It's an expanded fourth column. Meaning we take a look at what the big book says and we interpret it. We try to understand what does Bill mean when he says a word in the big book that he doesn't define and doesn't describe how to use it. Obviously he has something in mind. He just didn't tell us. And so each of these step guides, from their own knowledge, from their own experience, from their own being led through the steps by their own step guide, interpret it. Now, you have the advantage today of hearing the accumulated conglomerate, the digested version of it, this distilled version of it, from all of my teachers and all of the times that I went through the work so that I don't have to make all those distinctions for you because they're not that interesting for you. They're quite interesting for me, of course, in terms of my history. So if you take a look at page 65 in the big book, 
it shows you a schema, um, a matrix, whatever the word would be, um, an example, a model of doing the resentment inventory. You can see that it has three columns. They're not designated column one, column two, column three, but there are three. And so I designate them because that's how I was taught. Column one, column two, column three. Column one, I'm resentful at. Column two, the cause. Column three, affects mine. If you're looking at the book, those are the titles on the page there. There isn't any reference to column four. Today's subject is column four. So where did we get that and what are we talking about? On page 67, there's a paragraph. The second full paragraph there. It says, referring to our list again. I'm giving you an overview and then I'm going to dive in and do some details in a minute. On page 67, that second full paragraph begins referring to our list again. The men who took me through the steps uniformly called it the fourth column. The book doesn't on page 67 call it the fourth column. It just says we looked back at our list again because it's the final instructions on resentment inventory and analyzing it. <clears throat> In Bill's lead up to step four on page 64, he says, we're going to look at the exact nature of the wrongs. We're going to take a look at fact facing and fact finding. We're going to get down to causes and conditions. We're going to face and be rid of the things that have been blocking us. We're going to look at our values. We're going to search out the flaws in our makeup that caused our failure. I don't know what your interpretation of all those words is, but mine is it's a very analytical process. Exact nature, causes and conditions. We're going to look deeply at the root cause now, on page 62, Bill uses that metaphor, if you will, root cause, in describing unmanageability. That's my interpretation of that first paragraph, full, first full paragraph on page 62. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our trouble. The root is selfishness and self-centeredness. I equate that today with unmanageability. I equate that unmanageability with the spiritual malady. And Bill, in some literature, calls it the cancer of the soul. Unmanageability, that selfishness, self-centeredness. Somehow, many people in the 12-step environment, in the fellowships, have completely missed this information because they do not understand unmanageability they do not understand step 10 when it says we're not cured you can take a look at we're not going to look at it today but i'm going to reference it step 10 after step 9 hello um says on pages 84 and 85 we've entered the world of the spirit after we finish the ninth step or someplace during the ninth step, it implies. 
we will enter the world of the spirit. Hmm, where have we been? Well, we've been in the world of self. So when we finish the ninth step, we come out of the world of self and we enter the world of the spirit. And when we do that, it says specifically, listen to the words. They, they don't need much interpretation. We are placed in a position of neutrality. Hear the vocabulary. It's in the big book. I'm quoting. I'm not paraphrasing. We are placed the grace of that. Oh, we've done a lot of work if we've done steps one through nine. We've done a tremendous amount of hard labor. But then it says we are placed. We don't get there because we finished the work, that we conquered our self-centeredness, that we now have enough information and enough willpower to be able to. No, that's not the implications at all. We are placed in a position of neutrality. On the title page of the big book, Bill says very clearly and is very consistent throughout the book in the use of this word recovered on the title page. Just check it out. If you don't have your book with you, make a note. It's really critically important to understand the distinction I'm about to make. The best kept secret in the rooms. I'm serious. It's a criticism. The 12-step fellowship and culture, Alcoholics Anonymous saved my life. Not only saved my life, it gave me a life. I was in a monastery for seven years looking for something. I didn't find it. I was in psychology for six years. I was looking for something. I didn't find it. I was in AA for five years looking for something, and I didn't find it. Oh, I was given the gift of sobriety. That's a story for a different day. On February 20th, 1984, I was willing to quit drinking to support my wife's recovery. Then I haven't had a drink nor an inclination for a drink since. And I didn't go to AA for another two, three months. I was placed in a position of neutrality, not because I asked for it or not because I did any work, but because I believe I was willing to support my wife's recovery. <clears throat> We are placed in a position of neutrality. And I'm stressing this because this is the reason that we do these steps. This is certainly the reason that we do the fourth step. The motivation is critical because the fourth step is a difficult slog. It's a swim in the sewer. And it's nasty. And it's hard work and it's embarrassing. We are placed in a position of neutrality. Hear the grace of that. Then he says, and this is now the point of, the real point of what I want to get across is, we are not cured. The title page says we're recovered. How many thousands of men and women are recovered? Hear the vocabulary. This is not a throwaway line. This is not some type of new age interpretation. It's a literal interpretation of what the book says there and in many places throughout the book. The book does not use the term in recovery or recovering. It uses the term recovered 
ED, past tense. That's the gift of doing the first nine steps, the process of recovery, steps one through nine. We are recovered. Uh, step 10, we're not cured. Hmm. What does it mean? Recovered, I believe, doesn't say this in the big book as clearly as I'm about to. Recovered means that the first half of the first step is now irrelevant. The first half of the first step to do with our addiction. Of course, in the big book, it's about alcohol, but Bill had the prophetic insight in the first preface to the first edition, not April of 1939. Make a note of this. It's a, a, an incredible uh, insight in this line that's at the end of the first paragraph in the preface, the preface to the very first edition, the first paragraph and the very last line in that first paragraph. 1939, Bill said, our way of living may have its advantages for all. He wasn't referring to alcoholics. He wasn't even referring to people with addiction. He was referring to all human beings because he intuitively knew that the 12-step process was a process and a methodology for human beings, not just addicts, not just alcoholics, because it dealt with the second half of the first step, unmanageability, which is the human problem, not the addict problem. Bill isn't that clear in the book or in the 12 and 12 about all of this. This is my sort of reflection on it and interpretation of it. And you're welcome to disagree with it, but it really makes organic sense to me. And it explains the whole process of the 12 steps and the whole process of living our lives. As I say, the best kept secret in the rooms. What is unmanageability? Bill nailed it on page 62. Selfishness, self-centeredness is the root of our trouble. <clears throat> and we can deal with the addiction problem in steps one through nine, but on a daily basis in step 10, we enter the world of the spirit. We're not cured. We have a daily reprieve. We're not cured of our unmanageability. We're not cured of our selfishness and self-centeredness. We're not cured of our humanity. We never transcend our humanity. We'll always be human. And in fact, in step 10, as he articulates it, I'm not going to do a teaching on step 10. I've done that. You can go to the YouTube and, and find that. He says, watch for resentment, fear, dishonesty, and selfishness when they crop up. Hmm. We finish the ninth step, and on a daily basis, we're going to be human. When they crop up, not if they crop up. Resentment, fear, dishonesty, selfishness, the four characteristics that we saw in the fourth step, because the 10th step is a repetition of steps one through nine, especially dealing with steps four and five. We're not cured of our unmanageability. We have a daily reprieve contingent on the application of steps 10, 11, and 12. Bill calls his, um, his um, identification of 10, 11, and 12 are three words, way of life. He uses the term way of life about 20 times in the big book. 
steps one through nine are not the way of life. Steps one through nine are the way of recovery. And we recover so that we can live our life. Steps 10, 11, and 12 are our way of life. We do step 10 to keep the channel clear. We do step 11 to fill the channel with grace and with light and with guidance. And we do step 12 to allow that channel to be open and allow the light and the grace and the God in us to seep out to the people in our immediate vicinity, especially if we're focused on trying to help other addicts in our fellowship. But notice it was all inclusive. The original manuscript to the big book, Step 12 read, having had a spiritual experience as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others, especially alcoholics. That tells it all. That's very organically tied to Bill's insight in the preface to the first edition. Now, step 12 didn't end up seeing that. But the manuscript reveals the philosophy, the attitude, the expectation, and the experience of the people that were writing the book, primarily Bill. But he knew that he needed to have a focus, primary purpose, not get distracted with other issues, even though they're relevant in the human condition, but stay focused on helping alcoholics. And so step 12, carry the message to alcoholics. That's how it reads since the first printing of the big book. But the manuscript reveals to us the original intent and expectation. Carry the message to others, especially alcoholics. A way of life living according to principles in the one of the major aspects or components of step 12. So that's the overview, big picture. Let's take a look at some of the details here. And I got to get where I'm at here. There we go. And so that's who I am, and that's my email address, and I can bring it up again at the end. That's not the point of this. <clears throat> We're looking at step four. Made a searching and fearless in moral inventory. Moral is not in contrast to immoral. Moral, if you look it up in a dictionary, is values coming from the Latin more values. Step four is not to beat ourselves up with our mischief, but to get underneath the mischief to see what our principles are, what our values are. I didn't know that I had principles. And uh, even when I looked and I didn't see any principles, I learned that I needed to have principles. And I got all of that information in the fourth step identifying the principles I had that I was transgressing, but also identifying principles that would help me that I didn't have that I could adopt. The man who took me through the work the first time quoted Einstein. 
the consciousness that created the problem cannot be the consciousness that solves the problem. Brilliant. I love succinct wisdom sayings like that. He got my attention. He said to me, and you've seen me do this before, look up at me if you're not. You have a lot of information, Herb, but you have very little transformation. This is at five years of sobriety. A lot of information, academic knowledge, but it had never filtered through my heart, my experience, or to my feet. I had not changed. So he introduced me to a prayer. It's based on the encouragement in the big book in many places. Page 58 was the most relevant uh, reference that he gave me. It says, some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. He said, your information and your experience may be the very impediments to new information and new experience. Invite the spirit to give you a clean slate, a clean whiteboard, and do this work allowing the spirit to reveal the information on the whiteboard with no impediments of your current prior knowledge and or experience. I really didn't know what he was talking about. It was all foreign language to me, but I did what he asked me to. And after I finished the steps, after 12 months of work, when I looked back over my shoulder, I could see my concept of God. This is just one example. My concept of God. I studied to be a Catholic priest, a missionary, a religious for seven years, seven years of silence. Wouldn't you know? Wouldn't you think I would know something about God and spirituality? And I did. All right. The technical parts. But when I left the monastery in 1964, I hung up my black robe and I didn't meditate again for another 25 years. And I certainly didn't act like a spiritual being. Because it had come from the outside, not the inside, like the black robe had come from the outside. When I put it on, I was a monk. And when I took it off, I wasn't. And I discovered in step two and three that my concept of God was the very impediment to my relationship with the mystery. Huge. I'm inviting you today, just for this next hour, couple hours that we'll be together, to hold this set-aside attitude. Whether you pray out loud, whether you pray silently, whether you pray at all, it's none of my business. It's your business. But I invite you to adopt the set-aside attitude for the next couple hours that we're together a willingness to have whatever the energy is in the universe to open your heart and open your mind for a new experience and some new information. God, please set aside everything that I think I know about myself, my unmanageability, the 12 steps in you for an open mind and a new experience with myself, my unmanageability, the 12 steps and especially you. You see, we're in the bondage of self. Isn't that what Bill uses? Oh, this is a cartoon that I saw in the New Yorker probably uh, 40, 50 years ago. But it so impressed me that I remembered it. I'm in the bondage of self until I'm not. 
But notice, same cartoon with a bigger perspective. There's no walls, there's no ceiling, there's no floor. There's just pathetic Herbie holding the bars in front of his face. That was the discovery I made after I finished the steps. That I had created a prison built out of the cinder blocks of resentment and fear and dishonesty and selfishness, which I thought was the cinder block wall to protect me. And it turns out to be the cinder block wall that is my prison. And I needed to deconstruct that cinder block wall through this process. I am responsible for holding the bars in front of my face and I need to drop the bars. You may be familiar with a book from Hazleton on steps six and seven called Drop the Rock. Same concept. Bill uses the term <clears throat> in step two that we walk through a spiritual arch to a new freedom. And he talks about it in the way that he assumes that we can put the metaphor together. I'm assuming that, and he doesn't mention that, step one is the foundation to that spiritual arch because he immediately says on page 47 that willingness in step two, willingness is the cornerstone. That's the first stone placed on the foundation that sets the direction of the building of the entire arch. And then in step three, he says, Step three is the keystone, a decision to turn. Step two is a decision that there is a power. Step three is a decision that there is ability for us to have a relationship with that power. He doesn't mention the spiritual arch again until he finishes the fifth step. On the uh, keystone is on page 63. And then on page 75, he mentions at the end of step five, that we, we now have at the end of step five, page 75, that we've walked through the arch to a new freedom. That's his total mm, inclusion of his description of the spiritual arch through which we walk to freedom. Well, if we in step five have walked through the arch, what are the building blocks of the arch? See, these are the kind of questions for me that fill in the blanks that Bill didn't address. So perhaps resentment is the building block. Perhaps fear is the building block. Perhaps the evaluation of our inappropriate sexual behavior and the principles that we have transgressed are the building block that he's referring to. And then I end the step four inventory based on my experience looking at dishonesty and secrets. Now, why do we do all of this? I mean, that's a tremendous amount of work. Yes, they did this in two hours or maybe a weekend back in the day in 1939, 1941. Yes, absolutely. 1935, 1936, Yes, go upstairs and write your inventory. We'll wait. They wrote the inventory, then they listened to the inventory in the fifth step, and then they sent them out to do the ninth step. 
Now, in those days, they had only six steps because that's what the Oxford group was. Bill Wilson was a member of the Oxford group. He was met by Ebby Thatcher, who was a member of the Oxford group, who brought him the six steps. Read page 13 in the big book. Bill did the step process in the hospital in his second day of hospitalization. Page 13. It's incredible. He's still detoxing and he does these steps intellectually and in his heart. And he makes a commitment to make amends, but he hasn't gotten out of bed because he can't his second day of hospitalization. And yet take a look at page 14. His mystical experience, his mountaintop hot flash, he calls it. The room fills with light taken to the top of a mountain, a clean wind blows through him, and he intuitively knows that his alcohol problem has been immediately and forever removed, and that his life's destiny is the ministry to other alcoholics, to deliver to them the message that if you have a spiritual awakening, you too have, can have freedom. Freedom's the issue. Stay very focused on it. Freedom's the issue, at least as I've interpreted. Freedom from addiction, the first half of the first step. Freedom from unmanageability, the second half of the first step. Freedom from addiction is guaranteed in the big book on page 84, placed in a position of neutrality from our addiction, but we'll never be free of our humanity. Our selfishness and self-centeredness will always be with us. We have a daily reprieve. We're not cured. We embrace and apply steps 10, 11, and 12 on a continuous, diligent, not perfect. Please, I know 50% of you are perfectionists. It's wonderful to cross the T's and dots the I's. It keeps things in order. But loosen your grip. We're human beings. Please join with me this third step prayer, which is the launching prayer into the fourth step. It's wonderful from a psychological standpoint to make up your mind and to be motivated and willing to go to any length, all great. But we need to recognize in step one that we're powerless over it. In fact, on page 62, at the end of that second paragraph, concerning selfishness and self-centeredness, he says, neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. This is not a self-help program. This is a program where we implode after all exercise of self-help. We implode in full surrender that I cannot do this on my own. And I consent to the spirit that I need to be delivered. That's what this prayer is. Step three is not an action other than the prayer. It's a commitment to action. Willing to go to any lengths, he says, uh, on that page of, uh, 58, willing to go to any lengths. Well, what does that mean? If you have decided you want what we have, 
sobriety at the least, spiritual awakening at the most, and are willing to go to any length to get it, he answers the question, what does any length mean, dash? Then you are ready to take certain steps, meaning steps one through nine. The word surrender is used many times in the meetings that I go to to address step three. It's totally inappropriate. Surrender, the word itself, is not in the big book. And when I refer to the big book, I mean from the title page up through page 164. All the Roman numerals, the title page up to page one, and then one to 164. The word surrender is not in the big book. It's a great word for step one. I surrender because I've been completely defeated. That's what he says on page 30. It's a, a overlooked phrase concerning the first step, which was much more powerful than step one, as it's listed on page 59. On page 30, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost self, fully concede to our innermost self. That's radical and rigorous that we are alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. This is not gentle. This is a radical process that promises radical, coming from the Latin radix meaning root. We're going to the root of our selfishness and self-centeredness and it's being excised, surgically removed. The, the, the words from the Oxford group, soul surgery. That's certainly what the fourth step is about. And the turning that is committed to on, in, in step three, that turning that is committed to is illustrated on page 14 in Bill's story. Simple, but not easy. Simple. Everything I've said is simple. Everything I've said is not easy. Even to understand, let alone to apply. Simple, but not easy. A price has to be paid. It meant the destruction of self-centeredness. Hello, the internal integrity of this book is phenomenal. It meant the destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the Father of light who presides over us all. This is the turning that is illustrated on page 59. Turn, and at the simplest level, have in your mind, you can drop spirituality or any religious vocabulary, but have in your mind's eye for now and forever. The turning that we're invited to here is a turning from darkness to light. It's perfect. It was intimated there in Bill's comment on page 14. We must turn in all things to the Father of light. A little religious. We don't need that. We need to turn from the darkness to the light. That's what this program is. Constantly pushing the dimmer switch up away from the darkness toward the light, leaning gently, leaning gently with our shoulder against this process.
And this is the commitment. It's not a surrender. It's a commitment to action. It's not an admission of complete defeat, which is step one. It's a commitment that I'm with ferocious intent. I'm going to go into this step work and complete steps four through nine. I'm committing to a level of action that most people will not commit to. That's why I use the term ferocious intention of action. Please join me in this commitment. God, I offer myself to you to build with me and to do with me as you wish. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do your will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of your power, your love, and your way of life. May I do your will always. And just a side note, I think it's important. This prayer does not have an amen. And I believe it doesn't have an amen because it's not the end of a prayer. It's the beginning of a process. The process of establishing a relationship with myself. I take a look at the blocks in me to that relationship, step four. I reveal them in step five. I take a look at how they manifest in my behavior in step six. Recognize that I'm fully powerless again over how they manifest. And that I need help. And step seven begins with my creator, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I'm a mess. I'm broken. I'm wounded. I need healing. I'm going to the original creator, the contractor, to be rebuilt. My creator. And that prayer ends with an amen. So step four is this searching and fearless inventory of ourselves. One of the images that came to my mind was the Russian doll, which you see in gift shops. Some people call it the nesting doll because inside the doll, there are other dolls that look the same. And this is a way of talking about ego deflation at death. Notice the title, ego deflation at death. That's what step four is about. That's what steps four through nine is all about. Ego deflation at death. To take a look at my story. That's what Bill says in step five. We tell someone all our life story. And all is in italics. Autobiography is quite a legitimate way to do a fourth step. It's a good beginning from my standpoint, because that was my beginning. That was my experience. I didn't get anything out of it in the sense of the exact nature or any understanding of the ego root cause of all of this mischief and misbehavior. But it was a good start because it allowed me to open up a little bit and also to connect the dots, not only in writing it, but in confessing it or sharing it with some person. We have to take a look at our biology 
Each one of us has genetics that are completely unique. Millions of years to create me. Millions of years. I have a set of genetics that determines that I'm white and I'm bald. And I'm five foot eight now. All right? It's not my fault. Those are my genetics. And that I'm alcoholic. That's my, not my fault. I'm an alcoholic because my father was an alcoholic. His father, his father, his father. Five generations. Alcoholic men that are bald and white. It's just what it is. I was raised in a culture. Lower, middle class, blue collar. That formed me. And in some instances, deformed me. I don't know that I don't know any of that. And I react coming from that, as well as the experiences that I learned from my family and from my culture and my own personal experiences. I have some information that allowed me to develop in a different direction than my parents. But I never found the essence, not in my education, not in my monastery, not in my journey in self-help, not in my psychology and therapy, and not even in AA for those first four or five years, as I've mentioned. When a man took me through the steps, he gave me this outline. Selfishness, self-centeredness is the root. I, I, hope, I hope you're not feeling that this is redundant. I am repeating it because we need to hear it more than once to really get it. Selfishness, self-centeredness is the root. Step four is about identifying and analyzing the manifestations from the root. The fruit of the root is anger, resentment. Resentment, let me just get back to that a minute. Resentment comes from the Latin sentire, meaning to feel. R-E in front of it means I feel it again and again and again. Resentment, anger felt over and over again. Nothing wrong with anger, please. That's a automatic biological instinctual reaction to threat. Resentment is not anger. Resentment is anger that's held beyond its usefulness. Fear. Fear is a biological instinct for survival. Anger, fight. Fear, flight. Survival instincts. But then when we hold it and anxiety dominates us, it becomes deleterious to our mental, physical, and certainly spiritual health. And sex. These are the three components that Bill gives us in the big book. On pages 68, 69, and 70, he describes the approach to the sex inventory. It's very straightforward. There are nine questions. The ninth question is the most relevant question. I'm saying this just to give you a little hint of mint that might help you. What should I have done instead? It revealed to me principles that I transgressed. It also revealed to me that there are principles that I needed to adopt that I didn't have. And from that, I was able to create a sex ideal with God's grace and accountability in a sponsor and step guide partner 
since 1988, I have lived according to that sex ideal. As I mentioned, the final phase of step four, as I interpret it and help other people develop it, looks at dishonesty, secrets, guilt, and shame. That's just an overview. Today, I, 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 I'm a big, those of you who know me already know that I'm a big believer in context, even though it takes up the first hour of what we're doing here. I believe it, it gives us the context of able to pursue then what we're going to talk about in resentments. Because we have the big picture as to where it fits. Resentment is one of the obstacles to my relationship with myself and my relationship with power and my relationship with other people. So I make a list. Column one. I tell why I'm angry. Column two. I'm referring to columns. The book doesn't use that term. I've already addressed that in terms of reference to the schema on the outline on page 65. Now, this is a word that's not in the big book, but it's my distillation of the outcome and experience with column three. I did that last month. If you were here, you got a full dose of it. And if you uh, weren't, then you could go to the YouTube and listen to the three-hour discussion on column three. It reveals the beliefs that I have that are delusional. Well, it, it reveals all the beliefs, but mostly it reveals the delusional beliefs. And step four, uh, column four, as I refer to it, that final paragraph on page 67, reveals the responsibilities that I have for developing this anger. You hear it all the time in the rooms. What's your part? What's your part? What's your part? Let me tell you, my experience is I do not have a part in my resentment. Wow, Herb, that's iconoclastic. That's kind of in the face of all of everything I've ever heard or learned. No, I don't have a part in my resentment. I have 100% responsibility for it, not a part. It's my reaction to people and circumstances. People and circumstances have nothing to do with my reaction. My reaction is 100% my reaction. I did not know that. I am not a victim. I'm a perpetrator. I have exactly the life that I have created. I had to take a look deeply at column three, those beliefs, about self-esteem, who I am, about who others are, and how the world works, how life actually works. I was embarrassed by it. I mean, literally turning red in the privacy of my own room as I'm unpacking column three because of the embarrassment. Seeing it for the very first time, I'm seven years sober, 51 years old. And seeing it for the very first time. And then I was given the opportunity to pray for the removal of the deep resentments that I had, pages 66 and 67. This is a gift tool that's totally overlooked or misunderstood in the book, in the rooms, from the book. It says begin a prayer practice, but it's not a prayer practice for other people with whom I have a resentment. It's a prayer practice 
for my freedom. It's a prayer practice that invites the spirit of the universe, again, the divine healer, the divine surgeon, to bring a sharp scalpel and remove this resentment from me. This prayer is singularly and only for me and my healing and my freedom. And it set me free. I prayed the prayer. It took months of daily specific prayer. But at the conclusion of the practice, all of the deep resentments had been removed and they have never returned. That's freedom. Not only were they removed freedom, but they never returned freedom. So I want to take a look at column four. Finally, an hour later, we're, we're going to talk about what you all came here to talk about. I hope that that was helpful to you in terms of a preparation for this work. I'm assuming if you're still here, it was, or at least you tolerated it until we got to the actual point of the work that I advertised that we would do today. It says on page 67, we avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. That's concerning the prayer for the removal of deep resentment. And once again, confirming that I'm as powerless over my deep resentment as I am over my addiction. Earlier in step four, he confirmed that we're as powerless over our resentment as we are over our addiction. General resentment, let alone specific resentments. And in the fear inventory, he confirms the same. And in the sex inventory, he confirms the same. Whereas, and in the sixth and seventh step, he confirms the same. The consistency, the organic nature of the internal structure of the big book, this phenomenal, where it's powerless over our human development as we are over alcohol. And yet, like with alcohol, we're fully responsible for how it manifests. Like character defects, we're powerless over our defects, but we're 100% responsible for our behavior. What a great distinction that is, because it means that I must, if I want to be a decent human being and free, find power by my definition and have a consistent daily relationship with that power. That's it. Notice I didn't use words from the big book. I didn't use words from spirituality. I didn't use words from religion. That's the methodology of the big book underneath the underneath the underneath. You define what that power is and where it is and how it works. You define it, but you better find it if you want to be free on a consistent daily basis. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done. All right. He's giving us an attitude now, a change in perspective. Column one, two, and three is all about who did it to me and how did it affect me. It's all coming from the outside to the inside. 
Now he's suggesting that we turn that arrow around and we go from the inside to the outside. Putting out of our minds the wrongs others have done, they may have done you 80% more harm than you've done them. And that's really none of your business anymore. What is your business is what's flowing from your soul? What's flowing from your motives? What's flowing from your thoughts, your emotions, and your behavior? What's flowing from your inside to outside? What is your reaction to the stimuli of circumstances and people? Huge. This is the transformation. This is the turning. This is the radical change. Putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely for, look for our own mistakes. How did I set it up? What's my motive? As column three is about beliefs, column four is about motives. I found my beliefs delusional. I found my motives corrupt. Shocking information, actually. He gives us four questions, the way I parse it, because I take each of the words he uses and makes a separate sentence out of it. Where had we been selfish? That's a question. Where had we been dishonest? You see, I've taken the word out of the sentence and made a separate sentence for it. Where has it been self-seeking? What does it mean, the difference between selfish and self-seeking? Bill doesn't tell us, as he did in the third column. He didn't tell us what all of those words in the third column meant on that page 65. He just listed them. Not only did he not give us a definition, he didn't tell us how to apply it. It's not a checkbox practice. I did that the first time I did the work, a checkbox, trying to connect the dots between column one, column two, and column three. I faked it. I'd got nothing out of it. If you were here for the third column talk last week, uh, last month, then you saw that I had very specific definitions for each of those words and very specific application, very analytical process, deeply analytical. Somewhat difficult to crack the code, but once you crack the code, you're able to apply it so that you can actually get underneath and find out the exact cause and condition, the exact nature of your beliefs, and hold it up and say, is this real or is this fantasy? It's my decision. I can hold a belief if it's, I believe it's real. Or I can change it if I feel it's fantasy and delusional. But until I see it, I can't name it. And therefore, I can't legitimately incorporate it. Where am I, where am I frightened? Fear. Those are four questions. Then he goes on in the paragraph. Though a situation has not been entirely our fault, all right, sure, we're living in a world where they do this, I do that, they do this, I do that. It's very complex. A world of stimuli and response. We, we try to disregard the other person entirely. Their attitude, their emotions, their words, their feelings, their behavior, none of our business. 
circumstances and people, none of our business. What is our business? My perception and reaction. My perception and reaction. Now I can look at the outside, my perception and reaction, but I need to get underneath that. What is my motive and what is my responsibility? And so Bill asked this fifth question, where were we to blame? I don't like the term in today's environment. I don't think it has the same connotation that did might maybe in 1939. So I use the word responsible. Blame has kind of a negative dismissive term, self-deprecating. And I, I don't believe that's the intent here. And so I use the term responsible. Where am I responsible? Meaning, what were the motives underneath my reaction? What caused me to have an emotional and or a behavioral reaction like I had? The inventory is ours, not the other person's. When we saw our faults, so that's a, a synonym for blame. We listed them, we placed them before us in black and white. So this is a pen and paper exercise. We admitted our wrongs honestly. There's another synonym for blame, fault, wrongs. And we're willing to set these matters straight. That's the fourth column as outlined in the book. I've summarized it this way. What am I thinking? That's self, selfish as I define it. What am I doing? That's self-seeking as I define it. What is my fear? In preparation for the fear inventory, in column three, as you noted, if you were here, or even looking at the column three on page 65, fear is in parentheses next to several of those variables. Where am I being dishonest? That's the question from the book. What is my responsibility? That's the question, that's the word I use to determine the answer to that fifth question. Let me ask these, let me ask some questions first before I go to screen share again. Because what I want to do is I want to take each of you through each of the items on the worksheet physically. Uh, we're going to look at each item and have a discussion about your response to it to the extent that you want to ask a question or share your response. And then we'll go to the next item. We literally experientially, experientially, your experience will go through the worksheet as I have it to answer those five questions, but also some additional surrounding material that puts, um, puts those five questions on steroids. They really break it open, as, at least from my experience. And you'll know more about what I mean by that when we get to it. But I'm, I'm sort of experimenting with you now to take a pause and ask if you have some questions right now or some observations or some comment or some experience that you would like to share. Would you read that first paragraph or I'd like, I just appreciate how you go over things on page 66. It says it is plain and particularly like that sunlight of the spirit, but that whole thing is like, just, I, I've read the book before and I'm like, yeah. wow, this is life or death. Well, it, it is life or death on the one hand, but 
the glass is half full. On the other hand, it is a promise that you can be relieved of your deep resentments through this prayer practice. That's really the, the how do you say, the, the message here. Okay. Yes, you have deep resentments and you're powerless over them. And that's just the fact. But the truth is that you can, there's a prayer practice here that will give you freedom from it. If you understand it and then do it on a daily basis. Now, if you want to listen to the, which I would recommend rather than me taking time to do the teaching right now, is to listen to the column three teaching in that particular area. Uh, It will be very helpful. Or you could go straight to the uh, YouTube channel on my Tuesday workshop because we have covered that. And so there will be a separate YouTube uh, 45-minute teaching on this prayer practice, pages 66 and 67. Okay. And then is there somewhere that it does say prayer practice? or No, I'm using, just I'm using, using those words. I am or? using those. Well, I am using the words practice. But look at page 67. Oh, you have it there? I do. The third line, what does it say? The third line says, we ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. All right. So read uh, the first three words again. (laughs) 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 Uh, We asked God. I wonder what that means. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. You have a good sense of humor. A bingo. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I love that you said I'm I'm as powerless over my resentment as I am over alcohol. That is that's been coming to me a lot lately that uh different listening to different people that um, that I have no power over these resentments that keep coming back and back and back and back. And I keep thinking that I need to power through this and force myself not to be resentful and, oh, and it's just not working. Well, and I've because we're so used in our culture, we're so used to self-reliance and also self-development, a human development, self-help. We're so used to that. But let, yeah. me, let me just... Um, uh, because I know you're going to make some more comments and I want you to, but I want to make sure everybody has the line from the big book upon which I'm basing this comment. It's this, I don't make this shit up. I look at the, yeah, thank you for laughing. I, 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 I look at the book and try to interpret what it says. Look at page 66 at the bottom of the last full paragraph at the bottom of the last full paragraph. The last full paragraph begins, we turned back to the list. Now take a look at the end sentence. Would you like to read that very last end sentence to me? Do you have your book there? I do. All right. In the page 66, yes. last paragraph, Yes. last line of the last paragraph. Read that, please. We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. What do you think that means? <laughs> Yeah, right. I, I don't have the power to do it. There you go. There you go. See, when yeah. we, I did not know that for eight years in the rooms. I had done the steps twice. And then somebody pointed that out to me because I was reading over it, not understanding it. Just like when, yeah. when Eddie said, um, 
where did I get the idea of that it's a prayer? And then he read, we asked God, and he just broke out in laughter. Of course. It's right there, but we don't read it. We miss it because we somehow we're brain dead to the words. That's why it's so important to have uh, a mechanic, a step guide to help us light up the words like I just did here. We could not wish them away any more than alcohol, a.k.a. We're as powerless over our deep resentment as we are over our addiction. Yes, that's just, oh, it's so helpful. Um, and I just, I, 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 I'm loving the um, emphasis and re-emphasis <laughs> on um, that this has nothing to do with the other guy. You know, this is all about just and 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 conversely, I don't have to take on shoulder the entire blame of the entire world and everything that happened. I just have to look at what I you know, it's clear eyed. It's like just look at where I played a role, look at what what my wrongs were and take responsibility and stop looking at the other guy and all that. I I just thank you. Well, and you've heard it before in in the rooms. And when you point your finger at somebody, there's four fingers pointing back at you. I mean, there's cute stuff like that we have, which is really saying the same thing. Or or, or one of my favorite phrases is, when you spot it, you got it. Oh, my God, that's like so confrontational. If I'm seeing it, it's probably because it's in me that I don't want to look at. So I see it elsewhere. That was mainly it. It's just that, you know, I, I, I continue in this vein of, you know, making a little progress and, and starting to see it from their point of view, starting to, t- you know, looking at my faults and mistakes. And then my mind w- will just jump back again and again to, yeah, but they, yeah, yeah but. but they, yeah, but. And so, and so it's just, I, I just need to be reminded over and over, just stay on my side of the street and look at my stuff. Yeah. And, 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 um, yes. And what you're reminding me of in step 10, Bill, uh, in the 12 and 12 says it in a broader, broader, comprehensive way. It's a spiritual axiom. Whenever I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. Right. Whenever, whenever I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. Now, I don't mean wrong in the sense of bad. No, 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 no. But there's something amiss. And the way I talk about it is that there's a, a flow in the universe, a life force, and I have free will. I go against it. I go against the flow. I go against the principles. I go against nature, actually. And I suffer, but when I'm in alignment, which is the turning step three commits to, to turn to be in alignment with the life force, with nature, with God as I don't understand it. When I'm in alignment, then I'm not disturbed. I'm only disturbed when I'm out of alignment. The word alignment's not in the big book, but it's my interpretation of God's will. Yes, thank, thank you for that alignment. And thank you also, I'll, I'll end with this. Thank you also for the word amiss. That, that is very helpful in that particular line because something wrong with me, uh, I, I, I hear it and I agree with it, but sometimes it felt um, like something bad, like you said, bad and it's amiss. That's perfect. Okay, I'm done. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's right. And so bottom line on column four, and you'll hear it when we get to it in a minute, uh, the bottom line is 
I'm never a victim. Oh, wait, I have been victimized. Yes, absolutely true. But I, today, right now, I am not a victim. I'm the perpetrator. Because whose feeling is it? Oh, it's my feeling. What percent of your feeling is it? Oh, that would be 100%. Okay, breaking the code. So when I do the third column and then get to the fourth column and I see where, what I, you know, my part, what I did, and I can identify the, um, the principle or the, the, the thing that I'm feeling. And that's what you're meaning by breaking the code, just to make sure I got it right in my head that you know, the, the delusion is smashed about they did it to me. And now I see what my part and then. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. And, okay. and what it does is it kind of like embarrasses me at first. And I go, oh, my yeah. God, that is so yes. But but here on the other side, it's kind of like, oh, if I'm responsible for my negative feelings, I can change that. I can have freedom by changing my attitude and by changing my behavior. All I have to do is change and I will be okay. You don't have to change for me to be okay. Right. Right. It's huge. Simple, not easy. <laughs> well, there you go. There, That's yeah. exactly yeah. it right there. That's yeah. exactly okay. it right there. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. You bet. Yeah. Hi, Herb. Uh, thank you so much. So I, I think for me, you know, I'm, I'm doing all of this and I'm writing as we go and um, I've done the, the, the worksheets for, you know, column three and four. And so I get it, but then, it, you know, I think would I then, well, I guess I don't get it entirely probably, uh, but, <laughs> but uh, I think where I tend to get stuck in is sort of like, mentally sort of getting it and then I just like slide away from getting it to like ah oh, but th this is just so hard or, or like or like why do I have to do this or like <laughs> oh I'm so tired of this it, oh, yeah. you know and, and oh, yeah. I just and I feel like I get so stuck in that and then it's just a matter of like the, you know when throughout the day is that just going to take over and then I you know and then I have like no control but then I get it but I'm just like, oh, I'm so fucking tired of this. I have no control. It's a great conclusion. In fact, I threw away the word control because it doesn't apply. I don't have any control over outside or inside of me. Control. I have influence. That's what the serenity prayer is about. Figuring out what do I have influence over? So I don't do the word control. But you're right. And that's where sponsorship comes in handy. The accountability. So I, I, I get discouraged and I go, why me? And I, and, I, uh, and, um, and I get tired and I just, well, then that's where accountability comes in. And I talk about all of that frustration. And hopefully if you have a compassionate sponsor who's also experienced, they will guide you through the other side and say, yes, um, keep in mind, what, what is the vision here of this work? The vision is, Step 12, a spiritual awakening. Get really clear. What does that mean? That means freedom. That means consciousness. 
That means a life of tranquility and serenity and harmony and contentment. That's what it means. How free do you want to be? That's what I say to my sponsees at the conclusion of almost every discussion. How free do you want to be? Oh, you don't want to do that? Okay, that's great. Okay, your choice. How free do you want to be? <laughs> okay. Does that help? Yeah, it does. I think um, it's helpful because it reminds me that I, I do need to have like more connection with my sponsor in this way when I, you know, uh, I think it's the most important moving puzzle piece in the whole construct is accountability to a sponsor, step guide, whatever you want to call them, an accountability person. And I don't mean daily, mm -hmm. but if you're going through the work, I do mean weekly. If you're not going through the work, I do mean monthly. That you have a face-to-face, -face, whether that be on Zoom or not, but that you have a eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball where you're literally spending some dedicated time talking about where you're at, what you're feeling, what you're thinking, but especially what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. It's, thank you for saying that. And then also, um, my second question was, I think a couple of slides ago, uh, it, you mentioned something about a prayer. Um, yes not the set aside prayer. This was like almost like two or three slides ago. Yes. Um, page 66 what? and page 67 in the big book. Yes. In my way of life document, I refer to it as the uh, prayer for the removal of deep resentment. Okay. Page 66 and 67. In the big book. Yes. And that would be, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it uh, would be a, Unpacked in one of the Tuesday workshops for about 30 to 45 minutes, I would have completely read each word, each sentence, each paragraph, and given a deep explanation of that practice for the removal of deep resentments. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for asking. Good. Sometimes I feel I'm stupid because I've heard the thing you say so many times yeah. during the years, but suddenly, a bowl. Ah, oh, now yeah. I can feel it in my whole body. I got yeah. it now, you know. I yeah. owe, yeah. owe and own it, you know. Well, that's because you, you were ready for it. Yes. I remember you you said some some word, you have changed, and that's so important because I got stuck in the world because of shame. You know, you, you said, Where am I to blame? Yes. Then I go completely into my ego and feel guilty, feel shameful. So I use so much energy on that instead of because I have been blamed at home, you know, and I feel, oh, am I, am I a horrible person, you know? Yes. And then it triggered my, my own insecurity. Uh, and then it says, when you say, where is my responsibility? It, it's a completely different. Uh, it is. In today's environment and culture, it's a completely shift in perspective. Exactly. And also the same here, you said with control yes. and influence. Yes. So that's uh, really, really good. And uh, what I was actually going to ask you about uh, was um, because I work with this now uh, on myself and with a sponsee. Where you say, yeah, and it's the same, same thing. So our trouble we think are basically our own making. That is also trigger a lot. Is it really? What about my narcissistic father who, who, 
who always were right and always were angry and... That has nothing to do with you. Okay. I can't you know, quite... Wait, wait. I, I assume you're over 21. I know. <laughs> All right. No. So you're responsible now. And my suspicion is you don't live with your father, right? Yeah, no, I don't. But yeah. I meet him sometimes and I become triggered and I work no, with it. That's your problem. Yeah, that's your my problem. problem. That is your problem. You have a trigger. You have, yeah. as, I had a person with 20 years of sobriety run, run up to me one day and say, Herb, 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 they're pressing my buttons. <laughs> I go, and I said, well, whose buttons are they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, get rid of the buttons. Get rid of uh, the buttons. Yeah, I know. But what I was thinking of, I understand it now because now I now I'm more clear. I, I can I can take it, but because I have, I, I try. I've, I've forgiven my father, but sometimes I I haven't. <laughs> well, I, I understand that it's forgiveness is a process, and if you want to really understand the process, get the book "Forgive for Good" by Fred Luskin. I'm sure uh, Rainey will put it in the chat room. "Forgive for Good" by Fred Luskin. He's a clinical psychologist, PhD, professor at Stanford. He did his doctoral dissertation on forgiveness from a psychological standpoint, wrote it in a book that we could understand. And it's the second best book that I've ever read in my entire life. And that's saying something. The first, big, the first book is the big book, but go ahead. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> yeah, no, that's wow. a lot. That's a lot. And thank you for your, your right. question. I have just finished my fourth step on my fifth step. And I was looking at my fourth step and I see here in column four, I put a lot of, she was doing the best she could. Uh, that, that's nice. It's just yeah. ineffective. It's ineffective. It's ineffective. Right. Yeah. And I put, uh, she would, I forgive her or. I well, could maybe, maybe, maybe you do, but forgiveness is not, like a word of, or a phrase, it's a process. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't want to, yeah. but I do want to. No, no, I'm glad you're saying that because I see that it, it, there's no, it's not substantive or something. I'm missing something. It's just, I, I agree. Yes. She is spiritually sick. I put in, like, so I'm that's, not getting that's it. From the big book that they are spiritually sick, like me. Like me, right. <laughs> right. I'm the same. I'm the same, right? Yeah, right. which gives us a sense of compassion. Right. So I guess I'm going ahead of myself. You're going to show us how to put it into words on this column four in a way that's more effective? I think so, yes. Okay. I think that's exactly what you can expect today. Okay, that's what I need. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, um, I'll, more about that in a minute. That's great. Thank you. Thank you who has um, uh, not had anything to do with us for 30 years, okay? And I had an aha moment going through this that just floored me. I was unable to influence him um, at all. And I didn't realize that that's, that was my problem. That, that it's, <laughs> right. I didn't 
didn't. Right. I get it. hundred percent. I, I understand the, 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 the lack of ability to even express it. Right. Yes. Yes. So um, I, I, I wanted to share that I've, I've gotten that far. No, that's um, wonderful. How old is he? Uh, 51. Yeah. So he's really none of your business. I know. Yeah. That's another thing yeah. that I've been, I've been getting through this. It's none yeah. of my business. Yeah. It, I mean, I don't want to be cold or uh, lacking in compassion, but that is the truth of it. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, come, we'll come to that more in the second half of today when we're talking about the fourth column specifically. Okay. All right. But, but I just want to say thanks. Oh, you're okay. so welcome. You're, that's why I do this work, because you have an experience of beginning to get some perspective of the truth and the freedom yeah. that comes with that. Yeah, thank, thank you. You. you bet. And I'm going to put up a uh, document, which is the fourth column worksheet that I use. Let me go over it quickly with you so that you have a context as it's much more uh, comprehensive. I won't say complex. It's much more comprehensive than what's in the book, those five questions that we've talked about. I have the five questions there, they're numbered one through five, but then I've added to it over the years based on my work personally with the mechanics that helped me go through the steps, but also as a result of the workshop and the feedback that I got from people who made recommendations or who found different things helpful. So question number six is about harm done. Now, of course, that's not relevant until you get to the eighth step. But even in the eighth step in the big book, the big book suggests that we make a list of the harms. We did so when we took inventory. So based on that suggestion, I specifically take a look at harms, not to analyze them, or in fact, to interrupt the fourth step work with the eight step work, no, but to park the information so that I can come back in, in question number six, was there any harm to the person who I have a resentment toward that I'm doing this worksheet on? And number seven, is there any collateral damage around that person? If, if, I, if I hurt the husband uh, uh, in a, in the direct re, uh, resentment, uh, did I actually harm his wife and children in the same collateral damage with that resentment? Only to name it, to park it, so that when I do my eight step, I can come back to this material and unpack it in the way that I learned how to do effectively in the eight step. Bottom line, Six and seven are parking spots for a note to come back to visit in the eight step. Then I go on to question number eight, which is just an amplification of question number four, because it's a preparation for the next phase of the step four inventory. The first phase we're in right now is resentment. The second phase is about fears. So, not only do we have a beginning list of fears in column three, seven fears, one for each of the variables in the worksheet on column three, but we've also got 
uh, a primary fear in question number four. And then if there are any additional fears, which I'll demonstrate here in a minute, um, then we note them here in eight, not to do any work on them. Same comment as I had for six and seven, it's a parking spot so that when I get to the fear inventory, I, I, can, I have some place to start. The more meaningful additional question for me personally was to take a look at my character defects, which of course, in the same spirit as six, seven, and eight is a preparation for work to be done later on in step six and seven, character defects. But when I was able to identify my character defects in the play at, at the time of the resentment, I was much more ready to see my role and responsibility in creating my resentment because they came out of a lot of my character defects. So it was extremely helpful to give a lot of substance to the ownership of the resentment. And then number 10, why do I hold on to this resentment? What's the benefit to me? And many people go, well, there's no benefit. You know, quite frankly, there must be a benefit. Otherwise, I wouldn't be holding on to it. So it might take a little pause and a little prayer and a little reflection. But what's the value of me holding a resentment for a year? I deal all the time with men and women who are 60 and 70 and even 80 years old, been in the program 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 years, and they still have a resentment toward their mother and father. What's going on with that? They still have a resentment toward their partner or their ex-partner. After 10 to 40 years in a program and being 60 to 80 years old, what's going on with that? What's the benefit? What's the value? Oh, there's no value. There's no, no, there has to be. Nobody holds this negative energy for decades without it serving some purpose. So it's an incredibly important question. Now at the top, my perceived role, this is coming out of the third column. You're crossing out of the third column where you've seen your beliefs and you have a perceived role. Think in terms of you're an actor in a play. Bill likes that theater analogy. We're, we're in a drama, we're on a stage, we're with this person with whom we have this resentment. What's my perceived role? Am I the misunderstood person, the betrayed spouse, the abused child, the abandoned person? What, what is the role? If, if there was a script writer there to shorthand it in terms of giving the words and the feelings and the behavior to and the costume for this particular role in the play, how would the script writer describe it succinctly? And that's an important thing to come from in terms of answering all these 10 questions. And then after you ask and answer these 10 questions, take a look at the perceived role and then ask yourself realistically, what's the real role? The perceived role is a lie. It's always a lie. It's always a lie. Now, I don't know it is at the beginning, I'm a victim at the top. 
And it's just not true. What's my real role at the bottom? Some form of synonym for perpetrator. I'm not a misunderstood person. I'm a misunderstanding person. I'm not a betrayed spouse. I'm a codependent spouse. I'm not an abused child. I'm a self-abusing adult. It's that turnaround that's crisp. If you get specific and crisp in the perceived role, you can have the turnaround experience equally as crisp and embarrassing as I just mentioned. I now realize that I am immature. I am naive. I am dependent. I am irresponsible. Not to beat yourself up, but to see what the truth is that you've covered up with the lie of the perceived role of victimhood. Now what I'd like to do is go through it line by line. Let's, let's do a worksheet together. That's what I really want to do. I want to do a worksheet together. And we'll stop with each line, number one through ten. And I'll ask you to bring to my attention what you wrote and any questions that you might have for confirmation that it's what I would consider a healthy response, an accurate response, or a clarification if you're not clear on it, or I see some places that it might be clarified. I want to do this experientially. I want to work with you line by line by line. This worksheet gave me my first spiritual awakening, 1988. I was 48 years old, four years sober, between four and five years sober. And when I finished this fourth column, I was turned, here the vocabulary, I was turned from a perennial victim to a responsible adult. And I didn't create that change. The worksheet did. My step guide helped me navigate and break the code. And it washed over me. I am 100% responsible. I'm never a victim. Even though I was victimized, there's no question in my history. Yes, I was victimized. Today, at age 48, five years sober, I'm not victimized except by myself. Because I'm holding the victim role like the stooge in the cartoon holding the bars in front of your face. There's no jail. There's just these bars that we hold in front of the face, believing the lie that we're in prison. And all we need to do is release the bars. I mean, I don't mean to make light of it because it's a very difficult process. And in fact, like we've talked about earlier, we're powerless to actually do it, but when we cooperate with the instructions and the prayer practice and the accountability with a sponsor step guide, miraculously, the bars dissolve and or are dropped and the vista clears and we find freedom. And I want to be, I want to be poetic about that because it's like beyond my ability to describe. So, all right, so 
I had a particular problem in 1988 when I was doing this work. It was a live problem at the time with a coworker who was a peer of mine. We were both senior vice presidents. We had both been with the firm 20 years. Um, I was sober th three years at the time um, and uh, I had been drinking for 17 years and creating all kinds of havoc because of that. I was sober, but I hadn't done any real work out of the steps. And therefore I had not made any effective amends and I hadn't changed. I didn't know any of that at the time. I was clueless. I did not know that I did not know. So this coworker of mine, his name is Bob, was trying to get me fired. And he put together a credible large group of people that similarly wanted me fired. And yet I was on a short list to be promoted, to be to run the Los Angeles office. And um, he didn't want the job and he wasn't on the list. So that was not the issue. The issue was he didn't feel not only did he not want me to get the job, he also didn't want me to be in the company. So when I resented Bob for trying to get me fired, I had this belief about my role, all right? My role is I'm, um, in this case, I was a misunderstood uh, employee because in my column three, I said I was the best salesman and the best candidate for this job. I won't go into the column three business because that'll just bog us down. But I, I did have the insight in column three at that point that I really believed I was to use a hackneyed phrase, the best thing since sliced bread, that I was the best candidate, not only for the job, but I was the best employee and salesman and sales manager the company has ever had in nationally. I mean, I had complete delusion that I didn't know that I had. I, I still at this point didn't know that I had it. So the event is true. You see, we're not talking about the feeling. We're talking about the event. The feeling is true because you're writing about it. But did the event actually happen? That was very relevant to me in another situation where I had a resentment toward a person from the eighth grade. I'm, I'm, I'm 48 years old here in doing this and I'm four years sober, but I have this deep resentment toward an eighth grade young boy who had broken my nose. Well, when I went back through column three and column four, to analyze the exact physical historical event, I saw that we were wrestling you know, after a football game, just like boys do, and having fun. And then it got serious and he pinned me down and I, it hurt my feelings as well as my ego because he was smaller than me. And I called him a racial epithet, all right? I was very disparaging about himself and his family. I'll be kind to me. And um, he uh, hit me in the nose with a closed fist and broke my nose. Well, his actions were not healthy. His actions were not correct. But once I saw the origin of the stimulus to his action, my language, my racial language, I completely understood what he did, not to condone it, and I was released from it at that very moment when I saw the truth of the event. 
So the event, the, the event was true. He broke my nose. My feelings about the resentment were totally inappropriate. In this case, the event is true. Bob uh, is trying to get me fired. I mean, we had several meetings about it in large meetings with management. <clears throat> so it really did happen. That's just to get a perspective. In the column three material between 67 and 68, pages 67 and 68, it says fancied or real. Fancied or real. Is it a figment of your imagination or is it real? That's why I put that in there, trying to honor the big book. Did it actually happen? I found 5% of my resentments had no basis in reality. No, no, none, no basis in reality. So now we get to the, the five questions. Self-seeking. I've defined it as behavior, acting on my own behalf, self-centered actions. And then I add, when I feel this resentment, how do I behave? So write number one and then write down an answer to that if you're looking at a resentment that you have. A resentment. Did you write down column one and column two? Who you resent and why? Did you write down the perceived role coming out of column three, assuming that you did column three, but even if you didn't, what's your perceived role? You're on a stage with this person or this institution. What's your perceived role? Do the best you can with one or two or three words. That's all it takes. Crisp. As if you were noting a script so that you could write it very easily and quickly. So when you feel this feeling of anger, this resentment, number one, fill in, how do you behave? With, with uh, Bob here, I was um, argumentative. I wrote memos defending myself. I met with management defending myself. I met with colleagues trying to sell them on my competency. I, I delegated inappropriately to my colleagues as well as my subordinates. That's my behavior. I'm gonna go through all five with my, uh, and then we'll come back to yours. Selfish. I arbitrarily assign a different definition to it. Self-seeking is about my behavior. Selfish is about my thinking. I'm thinking about myself. These are self-centered thoughts, motives, and attitudes. I want to convince Bob that I am an outstanding person and should be forgiven for all of the faults of my drinking now that I'm sober and that I should be supported because I'm the best person in my estimate for the promotion. I'm not thinking about serving the company. I'm not thinking of developing the coworkers. I'm not thinking of fostering the stockholder investment. I'm only thinking of myself, the power and the prestige and the money that goes with this job. Totally self-centered. I, I, I'm not exaggerating. I came at the same time to be in therapy, dealing with personality wrinkles of family of origin, 
and I was becoming very acquainted with my personality disorder called narcissism. I'm not going into it now. You probably have some acquaintance with it. If you have my way of life document in step six, there's a page from the diagnostic manual of psychiatrists and psychologists that lists the nine characteristics of a narcissist. Number three, where am I dishonest? And I define it, misrepresenting myself, lying, omitting, or diluting, all right? When I feel this resentment, keep in mind, use that terminology because it keeps you anchored in the resentment. This is not an analytical process for the sake of analysis. This is an analytical process for the sake of getting underneath to the exact nature, the causes and conditions of this anger. What's the source? I was dishonest. I was not qualified for the promotion. I hadn't got the credentials. I didn't have the information. I had no interest in managing the office or the people. I just wanted the badge of honor. Afraid, fear of not getting what I want or losing what I have. I was afraid of losing the job, not only of not getting the promotion. I was afraid that somebody was going to be in charge of the office and then hold me accountable. So I didn't want to be held accountable. I also feared that I would be fired. So many variations on that. The fifth question is really the turnaround, one of the turnaround questions. I use the words from the big book, they're in bold. Where am I wrong, at fault, to blame, responsible? I use my word there as responsible for my feelings and for my behavior, both feelings and behavior. When I feel this resentment, I found it useful to look at then, like I did with the eighth grader, to look at the actual history to see if there's anything there where I did contribute to the original event. Most often it's not that productive going back in history, especially where there's been physical abuse or sexual abuse. It's probably not that helpful to go back into your uh, preteen or teen years uh, because there might be some guilt and some shame there that comes that has been developed over the years that's just not healthy. The most relevant piece is to look at right now, my current reaction to this person or event. Where am I wrong, at fault, to blame? Right now, my current reaction to Bob. I was in a position where I could not see the truth and that I was holding him responsible for all of the accumulated negativity in my workplace from other people, whereas I was responsible. But I could not see that until, in fact, my step guy pointed it out to me. All right, I'm going to hold it there and go back to uh, number one then. Um, and so you have a resentment, you have the reason, you have the perceived role. Did, uh, what did you write for self-seeking behavior? Thank you. Uh, so I start with, start with my perceived role. Uh, tell me the resentment first, please. Uh, 
when I resent Mark, that's my my kid's father uh, for being uh, unfair with me and not offering me more help. Yes. All right. Excellent. And your perceived role is? Uh, when feeling this resentment, I believe I am helpless, whiny, depleted, and a victim. Okay. Um, yes, a victim. Um, depleted person? That would work. I, I kind of like that. That's a nice description. I'm defeated and depleted. How about that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're just experimenting here. There's no, there's no right or wrong. It's just what's going to be helpful. That's really the question here. Please, everybody hear that. There's no right or wrong. There's just what's going to be helpful. All right. So what did you write for behavior number one? Um, so self-seeking. Uh, then I demand a request for X, Y, you know, for whatever it is I'm requesting. And I do that out of exhaustion in a very whiny or passive aggressive way. Nice. Very, very colorful. That's good. I like it. Number two, selfish. Where are you um, thinking about yourself? I'm being taken advantage of. I'm irritable, helpless, hopeless. All right. So let's stay with the helpless part. Uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm helpless. How is that unhealthy for you? Uh, well, because I don't take responsibility. Right. Right. So you're divorced, I'm assuming. Uh, yes. And uh, I'm assuming there were court ordered sort of support financial and all kinds of rules as part of the divorce settlement. No, it's it's just all we get along really well, yeah. And well, wait, wait, wait. You get along really well. That's not what I'm hearing. I know. Yeah. Well, this is the thing: is that I, I, just, it's a whole. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, you you either have a resentment for this this person, Mark, or you don't. You don't get along well with somebody you have a total resentment for. So, yeah. what's the truth? Um, you're helpless. Uh, that I, I put him first, like his needs, his work, like his uh, rest, oh, all yeah. of that first. Oh, so you have a large streak of codependency. Yes. Well, <laughs> but you're enabling his own self-centeredness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's where you're helpless and hopeless. Because you give all the power away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm exploring. I'm not making mandate statements here. I'm just exploring. And if it resonates, yes. And if it doesn't say no, that doesn't apply. Yeah, I'm I'm writing things down because I think I, I want to definitely think about this further. I, I don't think that you're far off. I'm, I'm hearing it. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. A mm -hmm. Wonderful open heart. Yeah. And, and eager to know the truth. Good. Good. Mm -hmm. How about number three? Um, dishonest. Uh, basic uh, taking responsibility is hard for me. Well, where, um, where are you being dishonest? Um, 
where am I being dishonest? Um, oh, well, yeah, that I'm, I'm just like, I'm going to, I'm then, you know, I'm building this resentment that's dishonest because I, you know, don't even necessarily have to even go there to build the resentment if I just took responsibility for myself and my own needs. Well, what, what would it look like if you were taking responsibility for your own needs? I would first start with myself and figure out what it is that I need. Like first, like, okay, how much rest do I need? How much like alone time do I need? How, what, you know, what is it that I need first instead of starting with someone else's needs? That's the antidote to codependency. You're right on the money. That's right. You're being dishonest because you're not helpless. All right. You're not hopeless, but you're being irresponsible by not, putting yourself first and thinking how I need to take care of myself. Excellent. Number four, afraid. Um, I'm afraid of not being able to make better choices for myself and still feel resentful, um, feel like a failure. All right. There's no right or wrong answer when it comes to feelings. This is, and, and tomorrow you could have a completely different answer to that. Mm-hmm. All right. Number five, what did you write? <clears throat> um, then my contribution to the original event is um, I give up and expect others to give me what I need. Uh, and then now my current reaction to person or event is wanting to let go of resentment and help myself. Well, but that's a solution. You have a resentment now. So what is your role, responsibility in holding this resentment right now? Um, well, I recently kind of, I, I, I think that, you know, I was taught to uh, hold, create and hold resentments in place of boundaries. I have no idea what that means. Sounds like psychobabble to me. I mean, I, I don't know if it's psycho Bible. I came up with it myself. <laughs> yeah. I didn't read it. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have any idea what that means. Yeah. Well, no, but but it might be valid for you though. What does it mean for you to have a boundary? Um, I think like with proper with real boundaries. Uh, I I don't know why. Like with boundaries, it just for some reason they seem so difficult for me to to uphold like yes. this boundary you're, with someone you're seriously else codependent absolutely because you you don't matter you your needs are not of value but everybody else's are how long ago did you separate or divorce this man uh four years ago okay so it's not recent but it's not old either okay so you're still learning how to navigate it right yeah all right have you ever read melody Beattie's book codependent no more no. I suggest that you get it and read it. Get it and read it. It's a it's a excellent, easy read, and it's very informative. It's in very wonderful language. I've read it three different times over the last 30 years. It came out in 1980, and it just reminds us of the dynamic of codependency, and it will be the beginning of your having constructed reasonable and healthy boundaries, or I like guidelines better than boundaries. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. But you've already mm, pretty well named it when you said, I need to think of my needs, not in a self-centered way, but in a self-caring way. Yeah. 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 Just know that your resentment is your problem and it's unhealthy. Yeah. So, so for five then, so did, it, did I, I mean, not, you know, not that it matters to correct or wrong, but like, was I on the right path yes. of answering? Okay. Well, what, what's your experience with it? I, I think in the conversation, I was completely confirming, endorsing and clarifying your response. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank yeah. you. you. You said a couple things that I hope will be triggers for you to take some action that will, so you can get more information to help yourself. Yeah, I, I, um, I mean, I wrote it down and yeah, I, I think um, the codependency thing is, is very real for me. And it's uh, probably your main issue. Yeah. Because what we do any one place, one of my teachers said, what we do any one place, we do every place. So I would imagine that this pattern is true for your children, your parents, your friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even know because I, I haven't really, I, I don't think I understand what codependency is, but it sort of reminds me of, um, uh, you know, like, okay, so I'm in CA Hal, And so I remember when someone said, oh yeah, like, you know, doing compulsive snacking all day. And I said, no, I don't snack. But then when I started paying attention to it, I was like, oh, my God, I snack all day long. <laughs> there you go. So, well, see, so. you, see, you're really you're really bright. You made the connection. That's exactly right. With the information, then you will be able to see its application. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. It's a it's a process and a journey. It's not like you're going to be all hell, all healthy and well by Monday. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank, Thank you. So my resentment is my mother and um, I'm resentful for physical, emotional and mental abuse. Yes. And this was one of the examples that you used. So I, I kind of already know the answer at the end, but <laughs> um, when I feel this resentment, I believe I am an abused child and adult. Um, that's the role that I see, uh, the victim role. Yes. And is the event true or false? It is true and continues to be true. Yeah. Um, so for self-seeking, uh, and, and I did have some trouble with this. So you, you may be the person that tells me that these are the only wrong answers that someone could ever come up with. <laughs> there are no wrong answers. There's just some that will be clearer than others. So my behavior, I said, uh, I behave co-dependently and I feel traumatized. Uh, okay, yeah, in that sense, feeling could be a behavior. That's your reaction to it. Uh, I, uh, um, uh, I assume your mother does not live with you? She does not. Yeah, and um, what else? Um, so do you, how often do you have uh, interaction with your mother? Um, almost every day. I wasn't it's, supposed to. I'm supposed to take the weekends off, but uh, someone didn't find her at her house. So they called me instead. And now she's calling me 
All right. Are so you so much for my day off. Are, are you her caretaker? Uh, I may as well be. <laughs> no, uh, I'm not. I don't, I don't physically take care of her, but um, I do a lot of appointments and phone calls and she doesn't answer her phone and I answer the phone for her. People call me instead of her. Sounds like you're a caretaker to me, but anyway, you can define it any way you want. Number two, what about selfish? Where are you unhealthy in generating this resentment? So um, I put, I am, I am thinking that my life has been severely impacted by my trauma and the continued trauma responses when I'm triggered, when I'm talking to her, texting with her, trying to get a hold of her, seeing her. So I'm hearing your action, but what's her action? Is she legitimately abusive of you today? Not physically. No, I meant uh, emotionally, actually, and verbally. Yes. Some, yes, sometimes, not every single time I talk to her, but yes, she is. And she and, and all the things that me uh, and my sibling do for her are never well received. Um, even though we're trying to just give her as much help as she needs to get over the hump with her health, um, she's not cooperative at all. <laughs> okay. Um, and how many siblings do you have? Just one. All right. Are you the oldest or the youngest? Oldest. Okay. And um, so why do you allow your uh, mother to verbally agitate and uh, just, uh, what do you say, um, denigrate you? Or, I'm not sure what the right word is here. Why, why do you allow her mis misbehavior? I think it has to do with the afraid line. I'm afraid that it's going to make it worse. If I tell her how I feel about it, I'm afraid it's just going to get worse. Well, maybe she's not interested in how you feel. Um, so let's, let's try number, I understand what you're saying. Let's go to number three first though. Number three, where are you being dishonest? So the, I first wrote, um, there's a lot of things I don't tell her because I know it will upset her and then I'll, I'll be more triggered. And then I don't tell her how much she upsets me. So you put up with her abuse? I put up with it. I, yep, I accept it and uh, just keep helping her. So you won't confront her? I have not confronted her. I am not uh, totally against the idea if that's what needs to happen for me to get better. <laughs> How long has it been going on? Well, the physical abuse was till I was 22. The emotional abuse was and verbal has been my whole life, but it's got worse five years ago when her and my dad divorced because then she just had nobody but us. Yeah, she sounds like an angry and sad and lonely person. Yes, she has mental health issues and physical health issues. And I'm sure her upbringing wasn't great either. So she's just, she's uh, not going to change. I know I'm the one who has to change. Diagnosed, diagnosed objective mental illness? Um. Yes, there's been three things that I've heard of. I don't know which one of them are true. Three different doctors have diagnosed her with three different things. So. And you know that for a fact? Uh, I have not talked to the doctors myself. So you're right. There could be some lying in there, but depression, bipolar, and who borderline you, personality. Who are you hearing that from? From her. Oh, you hear it from your mother who's all angry and 
and abusive and you and, and you it, and you accept it as the truth um i see elements of that depression for sure yeah. um and there's ups and downs so i can see bipolar as well okay all right is she on medication yes she's on something for depression right, right. now i don't remember what is she on medication for bipolar I don't think so. The doctor she sees now didn't see that in her. How old is your mother? 66. Well, she's a relatively young woman then. Yeah, okay. All right. I mean, I'm 81, so it's all relative. Um, So, hmm, number four, uh, fear. What's that about? Um, I feel like helping her is going to cause me... um, so much trauma and distress that I lose more parts of my life and more of my, as you would call it, freedom, giving her all my power. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Did she ask for help? No, she never, never did ask for help, but she always tells me, Oh, I'm glad you're doing this because you know, I'd never do it. Okay. So, but you volunteer. I did because I was the one who figured out that nobody had heard from her and found we found her laying on the floor uh, a day away from death because of a brain injury all right so um, I guess when I saved her life I sort of felt like I was now even more responsible for her her care and her health well just remember you're volunteering I'm I'm not saying it's inappropriate I am not saying it's inappropriate it's very appropriate the way you're describing it, but you're volunteering. I know. Yeah, yeah. That's, Number, the, ki- that's the kicker. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's the real, yeah, it's, that's the bottom line, actually. Number five. So I didn't put anything down for the original event because I think my oh. response is still the same. I just yeah. let her do whatever she wants to do. Sure. And now? Um, I still let her do whatever she wants to do. Occasionally I will just, um, if we're on the phone, I can just get off the phone to make it stop. But, um, I don't ever say anything to her about why I just say, I'm sorry, mom, I have to go. And I hang up. So, So, okay. So your, what would you say there? Where are you responsible for your resentment? Um, I'm responsible and maybe the stickiness of it because I keep volunteering to help and I keep re-traumatizing myself. Yeah, and you won't confront your mother. No, and I have not yet confronted her. The roles, um, I don't know you or the circumstances, but let me just do a quick spontaneous guess. It sounds to me like the roles have been reversed. She raised you as a child to an adult Now she's incapacitated and becoming quite dependent and you're the parent. You need to now deal with her and you're not dealing with her. She needs to be disciplined. She needs to be conditioned. It's not appropriate for her to speak with you the way she does or to treat you the way she does. You need to confront her, say, mom, I love you very much and I really do want to help you, but I will not put up with this emotional or physical abuse. Okay. Yeah. Be that clear with her. I I don't mean mean. I don't mean as a disciplinarian. Uh, This is one adult to another, a loving daughter to a 
needy parent and you're going to be very clear and very firm. And if she steps out of line, you hang up. Okay. Yeah, I, I can't help myself. Sometimes I just try to solve problems. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate everything that you've said this whole time and all yeah. the responses to everyone else's comments. I, I'll take what I, everything I can get. I appreciate oh, it. I, yeah, but see, this is all real life in session. And there's no, how do you say, formula. There's no cookie cutter here. Every one of us has a different dynamic and a different experience and a different consciousness. And we, that's where certainly sponsorship comes in handy if they have experience or certainly maybe some paid professionals who have some ability to guide us in therapy and or in senior care and or in childcare and or in whatever. We have so many wonderful resources today that can support us with actual knowledge of how to deal effectively with these various things. But we have to reach out. We can't be hopeless, we can't be helpless, and we can't be ignorant if in fact we want the situation to be improved and we do have to be tough. And yes. I think Al-Anon has a great phrase and I think they call it tough love. It's, it's hard to be tough where you really wanna help and they need help and they might even die if they don't get it. Yep. All okay. right. Thank you, thank you. So I have, um, when I feel this resentment, I'm irritated, angry, very standoffish and wish um, the person wasn't around. All right, so um, what are you answering there? You said to give you the first one, self-seeking. Yeah. So how how are you behaving? Oh, let me give you. You, you told me about oh. wishing, but that's not behavior. So basically, very close and you know, quiet and standoffish. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I went quiet, like, um, silent. I snubbed them. Silent scorn. Yes. Yes. Oh. Okay. Silent that's scorn. Silent I scorn. love that term. Yes. Silent scorn. Yes. Good. Excellent. Um, did you write number two for selfish? Yes. Um, I'm selfish because um, I allowed, so to give you background, it's my stepdaughter who moved in with us. She was having some trouble. And um, so this is how I feel that I'm selfish and self-centered. Um, um, I paid for her second, her secondary school education, allowed her to live with us. And she should be grateful. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how you're thinking about it. She should be grateful. Yes. Anytime yes. you use the term should, you're revealing an unhealthy belief. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How old is she? Now she's uh, 28. And you're still holding the resentment. Yeah, well, that's why you're doing this work. Exactly. All right. So it's been a few years. All right. All right. Where are you being? If you, let's continue. I think this will work. Um, okay. What did you write for dishonest? Um, I admit telling her the truth about how I really feel about her and some of the things that she's done. Why, why, would, she, why would she care what you think or feel? She wouldn't. Well, see, you're being dishonest. I'm just... You're being dishonest yeah. with yourself. You think you are so important that 
You should tell her what you think and feel. And she doesn't give one damn what you think or feel. No. Nope. Exactly. So you're not being realistic. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this stuff is embarrassing. So I don't mean to embarrass you, but you are embarrassing yourself. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> Number four, okay. afraid. Okay, I am afraid that I'm failing myself, my husband, and her. Because oh. in the perceive, I'm the best mother who deserves respect. And so I'm failing at being a good co-parent. Yeah, yeah. There's no right or wrong answer here. When it comes to feelings, feelings are what feelings are. They're either healthy or they're unhealthy, but they're never wrong. Your feelings are what your feelings are. Everybody needs to really know that. Don't disparage or, disma or dismantle or, or diminish your feelings. They are what they are. Now they're either healthy or unhealthy. They're either appropriate or inappropriate, but they are what they are. So yes, you have this, this feeling of inadequacy and whatever else it is about the co-parenting. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're having even right now, I think, an emotional reaction to it, aren't you? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's touching you deeply. That's, that's when you know you're, you're connecting to the truth. Number five, what did you write there? Um, like you said, it's none, of my, it's none of my business to tell her that. It is none of my business to tell her that. Right. Well, let's, let's go back and when she was 20 or 21 and you were supporting her and co-parenting her, what was the arrangement? What was the deal? That she would go to school and finish. She would and go she to school that. and finish and you would support that? Yes. Were there any conditions? No. So what do you- Not that I said to her. Well, wait, so what are you angry with then? My, so- my that anger she's not appreciative. Her, I'm sorry. That she's not appreciative. She's not appreciative, and she. It appears that she resents my children, our other children, because she was before, and so she has. You know, it's this all prompted when she had a conversation with my youngest, and she um, basically told her that you know. And none of it's my none of it's my business. None of it. None of it's my business. It's, <laughs> none of it's my business. But she. Yeah, but you don't really me. know that. <laughs> no, because now I'm feeling all this stuff. But she told her that you know that we took her father from her, and all this stuff that has nothing to do with me. Right, nothing. Right. Right. She resents you. She resents you, and that's on her, and you don't think that's right. No. And you're, right. All. and you're right. It has nothing to do with you. Sticks and stones will break my bones, <laughs> and names will never hurt me. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, isn't that the wisdom that we learned when we were kids, right? Yes. Yes, their, their opinion of me is none of my business, and it has no power unless I give it power. And I'm giving it time. You are. Time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like I say hi to her through my teeth. And it's just like, why am I doing this? Yeah, well, it's not helpful. We'll we'll come to that. Let's let's stay with the first five. You did a great job. And I know that okay. uh, well, I don't I, my opinion actually doesn't count. What's your opinion? What's your experience with answering these five questions? That I see that I'm holding on to something that's totally delusional, you know, and, 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 and irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It it is. <laughs> and I'm it's, just concocting all this stuff yeah. in my head. And, and that's who we are as human beings. And when we see it, here's, watch my hands. This is forgiveness. We release it. Look up the term forgiveness in a dictionary. Mine says a decision to release them. And we know in the prayer of St. Francis and the Lord's Prayer, when we release them, we are released. When we forgive them their debt, our debts are forgiven. Yeah. I know. A process. And she could be hurting. She totally could be having well, a that, whole lot of stuff well, going again, on. Again, I, you don't need to go there. You don't need to yeah, go there. Okay. Because her life is okay. none of your business. How about it? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Really? Right. I mean, okay. this is hardcore. This is hardcore. Their life, their behavior is none of my business. Now, I can make it my business like you did. What a wonderful, generous adult you were to co-parent her and give her some support so she could get what she needed. But that's why I asked, were there any conditions? No, there were no conditions because you really wanted to help. But now you want gratitude. Damn her. <laughs> You're right. Woo. Yeah. You know, the, the sign the sign of authentic spirituality is a sense of humor, especially about yourself. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. All right. Let's go to the balance of the form here. Uh, so we're... Light touch six and seven, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm so, so light touch that I actually don't want to discuss it unless you do. Um, six and seven is merely a placeholder. Those are not fill in the blanks of everything. Those are options. I might have hurt their feelings. I might have created financial difficulty. There might be some other. Where did I diminish them? That's really the word I use. It's not in the book but it's my alternate word to harm is diminish. Where did I diminish them? And uh, so just make a note there so that you'll come back to when you do step eight. Don't spend any time on it. Just make a placeholder note. The same with number seven. Make a note there of other people that might've been affected by your behavior. As I mentioned in, in my prior comments, but so then take a look at eight. You've, you've made a, a comment in number four about fear. It's probably the primary fear. In my fear in the job situation with Bob, I had a fear that of, of uh, tall, articulate, mature men. I had a fear of tall especially, but articulate, good-looking women. 
I had a tension anytime I could feel my stomach tighten in a workplace where there's 50% women. So I was always uncomfortable. I felt inadequate and that I would, here's another fear, be publicly humiliated or that I would be publicly shown that I was wrong. Those are probably still two of my major concerns in dealing with anybody is to be humiliated, to be wrong, uh, to be um, embarrassed publicly, especially. Um, so I added to the fear list there just because it was spontaneous as I just did it with you. That, was, that wasn't a memory of what I did 30 years ago. That was a spontaneous feeling from uh, 30 years ago that I kind of remember that dynamic in me. Um, and then go, and, but we will deal with that when we get to the fear inventory. But it's setting me up to see that, man, I, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in me at the same time I'm dealing with these people in my anger. I've got lots of other dynamics. Uh, how about character defects? Well, I was dishonest. I was uh, insensitive to other people's feelings. I um, was completely self-centered. Uh, abusing anybody, using everybody uh, to for me to get what I wanted. Um, why did I hold on to this resentment toward Bob? What was the motive or the benefit or the value to me? Those are really important questions. I have this resentment in 1988 toward Bob. Now it was happening at that time. And the value was I made him wrong so that I could be right. I made him the perpetrator so that I could be a legitimate victim. I made him the culprit who was persecuting me rather than taking responsibility to see that I hadn't changed despite the fact I was sober, I hadn't changed, I was still inconsiderate, insensitive, overly ambitious, grandiose, um, obnoxious, and many other words. So as long as I could blame him, I wasn't looking at myself. How come I still have this raging, burning, red hot, anger toward my father who was dead. What was the benefit? So that literally, again, I could blame him for, I wasn't fully developed. I wasn't fully prepared. I wasn't the man that I was meant to be because he didn't model it to me. I mean, there's so many dynamics there that I was using to defend my inadequacies or my perceived deficiencies rather than taking responsibility for them and then dealing with them in some effective way. Much easier to blame somebody else than to take the responsibility. He was abusive verbally and emotionally when I was growing up. Probably the reason I left to go to the monastery at age 17 was to get out of the house and to have some solitude and some quiet, to feel safe actually. Now, that was not conscious at all. In fact, it didn't get revealed until my second inventory. 
So what's my real role in holding this resentment toward Bob? At the top, I said, I'm a misunderstood employee. And the truth is, once I see all of the answers to these questions is, no, I'm a victim who doesn't take responsibility for growing up and changing and managing, influencing the conditions in my life and being realistic. It wasn't realistic of me to think that I should get that job because I wasn't prepared for it. I wasn't educated enough. I wasn't experienced enough for that job. I wanted it solely for the power and the money and the prestige. And I was being considered because I was pretty successful at the level of what I was doing. But this was an incremental step that I, I wasn't prepared for. Eventually, they didn't give it to me. Of course, I resigned from the company. But um, the, the real role is, uh, my realization is that uh, I was narcissistic, self-centered, uh, grandiose, and unrealistic. And that was on a good day. All right. So bring a little humor into it. This is what I call the turnaround. The perceived role at the top is I'm a victim. The real role at the bottom is I'm a perpetrator to make it as simple as possible. That's the crisp turnaround. The lie is I'm a victim. The truth is I'm a perpetrator. The lie comes out of column three. The truth comes out of column four. Yeah, my situation is that back in September, my wife um, asked me to leave the house and I have, I did. And uh, I, to some extent, I've already been through this process, but it still nags at me. Um, well, so you have a resentment about it. Yes. I mean, just, I have a resentment toward my wife who asked me to leave the house. Pretty straightforward. Exactly. All right. Did you, uh, write uh, what your perceived role is? I did. And what you wrote. I don't want you making it up and, or being spontaneous. I want you to read what you wrote. Okay. My perceived role is that I was a victim. Um, could you be more uh, colorful with it? The answer is yes, that's true, but give me a little personal flavor. Okay. My perceived role was that I am a victim because my offenses were not that bad. Unjustly judged. Right. All right. See how crisp that is? Mm -hmm. All right. Let's, let's go with that. Um, could you give us a little of the circumstances? What, what are the ingredients to that? Uh, the ingredients to that are that I'm uh, retired for almost five years now. Yes. And while I was doing okay with my consumption of alcohol during my working days, yes. I got loose of the, the structure I yeah. behaved badly. Um, yeah. Got so you were drinking too much. Drinking too much, yes. All right, and um, are you still drinking? No. All right. Uh, did you stop drinking before she threw you out or after? After. 
All right. So, excellent. I don't think I need any more questions on that basis. <laughs> I think we can fill in the blanks, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, part, of, part of the resentment is still, and again, addressing perceived role. Part of the resentment is still that I figure, okay, I've fixed what I was doing. Why won't she take me back? Ah, uh, there. That's even more crisp. That's right. That's right. Not only did she throw you out, she unjustly judged you, but now she won't forgive you. Exactly. Oh, there we go. Good. I'm glad we continued that pursuit. All right. So when you feel unjustly judged and unforgiven, how do you behave, number one? Um, what'd you write? I tend to, I, I, when I feel unjustly blamed, I tend to blame, I tend to turn it around and say, poor me. I, you know, so you, you, you blame her and you have the self pity role. Yes, exactly. All right. All right. Number two. What is the unhealthy thinking underneath that? The unhealthy thinking, and this is a tough one to mm -hmm. admit. It was tough to write. It's tough to read. The unhealthy thinking is that I've never been good enough. Okay. All right. Yeah, uh, so you're saying that part of your emotional reaction of anger is, is in response to this feeling of never being good enough. Yes. All right. Uh, that has a lot of implications. I'm not going to unpack them right here, but you are on it. That's one. That's a really, that's a surprise twist for me and a great insight on your part personally, I think which will be helpful in the long run. Number three, dishonest. Where are you being dishonest? I am being dishonest in minimizing my yes. malfeasance, my own malfeasance. Yeah, yeah, right from the beginning, minimizing my behavior. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, number four, afraid. Afraid of being alone for the entire, you know, rest of the span of my life. Yeah. How long were you married? Uh, how long are you married? We still actually are. The yes, I, I assume so. Uh, but uh, I, 46 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm 70 years old. So, you know. The, the 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 stopwatch is running and i no 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 i i completely relate and everybody probably does yeah um so number five what did you write there for your role and responsibility my role is that i brought it on myself that's correct but i mean the event but the, you're holding a resentment for a reason. What's that? 
I went out and and met up with a woman I had met online and the usual sort of thing, just, you know, just overnight. And um, I did that. I am wrong for doing that. And more so I'm wrong. I'm at fault for the fact that I did it knowing that it would, that it would hurt her. You did this after you left the home or before? Before. Oh, well, that puts another color on it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Not only were you drinking, but you were unfaithful. Yes. And it was in retaliation to punish her. Yes, exactly. Oh, how this unfolds to much more dramatic color, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. the then part. The now is that I, I do realize that I was being willfully yeah. nasty. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I'm just gonna ask a couple of questions and you're welcome to answer them or not. Are you in a 12-step program? I am. Have you done any step work up till now? Yes, I am a, a part of the part of the reason that I'm talking right now is I'm at the juncture juncture between my eighth and ninth step. Oh, exactly. That was my next question. I have been and and I have I have made amends to the easy people. I have not. Good. That's what I recommend that, by the way. Go ahead. I have not yet made amends to my. You're not ready. To be ex wife. You're not ready. I, I know the amends I have to make, mm. but yes, I'm, I'm. Maybe, maybe you do, and maybe you don't. And um, I have a lot of experience and success in this area. Personally, I would invite you to call me so that we can have a discussion. Okay. If you want some at least my sharing of my experience and the journey that I took, it might be helpful to you. All okay. right. Good. Yeah. Email me. We'll set up some time and we'll have a conversation. Okay. Excellent. It's it's don't do any action before that. If you want to, if you want to have that conversation, I do want to have that conversation. It's a very sacred time for you. Eighth and ninth step, a very important time. And you're ready for it. You are ready for it. All right. Good. Good. Um, so let's cut to the chase and go to the bottom of it. Did you write out your realization, your real role? Yes, I did. What is that? I was willfully unfaithful to her. Yeah. And abusive to her. Yeah. Never been physically abusive, but I yelled, screamed. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of blaming that there, there were things that had been missing in our relationship for yeah. uh, the whole, actually the whole of the relationship. Sure. She had boundaries that I felt were. Yeah. But the bottom line, though, the bottom line is that um, 
before she threw you out, you you were drinking and then you were retaliating and punishing her and you were a bully. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's bottom line. Yes. Well, you're not unjustly judged, are you? I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds to me like she had a pretty perceptive handle on things. Yeah. And she, you know, she feels she did. Well, what, how do you feel? I do now. Yeah, of course. Good. I definitely do now. And I have recognized that I richly deserved exactly what I got. Well, at least you can understand that you got what was a normal reaction in circumstances. And we'll have a conversation. All right. Good. Good. So take Sorry. a look at um, question number uh, eight, uh, additional fears. Okay. Um, fear of being wrong. Fear of being unsupportive. Um, being a bad, fear of being a bad step parent or parent. Fear of being seen as being, you know, unsupportive to her. Um, selfish, controlling. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Number nine, character defects. You know, I, I was, it, it was funny. I was sitting here thinking about the whole scenario. And um, when she was very young, she was sitting on the porch crying. And she said to me, my stepdaughter, she's like, I just want my dad all by my, all by myself. And, um, now looking back, you know, um, I so self-centered, and um, you, you say you are. I will. I, I because I I didn't consider her feelings at the time. Like I okay. thought she was, you know what I mean, just being um, spoiled a, or a brat. Yes, and that's a very real thing for a little girl. And yes, I yes. didn't recognize that at the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you weren't as sensitive as you would be today. Insensitive. All right. Yeah. Totally All right. insensitive. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Why do you hold on to this resentment at this time? Number 10. Because I don't have to look at. I don't have to look at me. Right. You um, just blame I her. get to be angry at Right. I get, if I'm angry at her. Yeah. I don't have to look at why, you know, all of this. Yeah. Well, and many people have the response. It's not my necessarily response, but many people have it. It gives me the ability to be right. Mm. right. I, so many people have this deep need to be right and be very defended about being right. And in order for me to be right, you have to be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And um, so at the top, you said. Um, to be the best mother, to be the best stepmother who deserves respect. Well, um, disrespected stepmother would be the role. Disrespected yeah. stepmother would be the role. And, um, and what's the truth at the bottom? 
that I'm being childish. Say it again. I was being childish and fearful of my own inadequacy. That that could be then, but what about now sitting here doing this work in contrast to the perceived role? What are you? Um, What, What is the perceived role again at the top? Disrespected stepmother. Yes, and and what's the truth at the bottom now? Um, that I'm fearful. Well, it's more fearful, but the role that you're playing in holding this resentment is the righteous mother, right? The righteous stepmother. Okay. I don't know. Does that resonate? I'm not putting it on you. It might not be the right word. Um, I feel, I, I think, um, I feel I'm, I'm totally misguided by what I thought was true. Like, yeah. um, yes. and, uh, I just could have been more supportive instead of being so angry and uh, being fearful of just, you know, I, I did the best I could at the time, but. I still it didn't support her in a way that she should have probably been supported. Well, you can't. And they're adults now. Wait, 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 wait. You can't do anything about the past. You cannot change right. your history. So it's much more important for you to talk about right now and your feelings right now. And you have a resentment toward her right now because she isn't grateful enough or grateful at all. And she, quote, mm. should be grateful. Mm. So uh, maybe at the best is unrealistic stepmother. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's it. Yeah. I have expectations about what she should be and how she should behave. And- there, you say that with conviction. I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, case right there. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have, okay, I have unrealistic expectations that's that simple i think does that work for you yes it does thank you (laughs) well try on different words and phrases uh, and 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 the reaction is just like what you just had now It, it seemed like oh yeah that felt comfortable or or maybe oh yeah that felt uncomfortably comfortable (laughs) yeah because it's true yeah. And it fits. Yeah. I like it. No. Yeah. Not at all. But I can't live in that same prison anymore without any of it. And and the truth will set you free, but on your own, you can't do that. Even seeing the truth, perhaps that's where that prayer for the removal of deep resentment comes in play that you pray that prayer every day. Not for her, but for your own healing. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Herb. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, well, not uh, six and seven. We'll skip. Uh, those are parking oh. spots I mentioned. Let's go to eight. Okay. Uh, so my fears: uh, not having a family if I am sick. Uh, and 
my other fear is that we won't have a relationship. Okay. Yeah. No right or wrong. It's just the feelings that you have and they might be different tomorrow. As I say, character defects, number nine. Uh, codependent. Uh, I'm not enough unless I'm being of service to someone. That's yeah. a huge insight, by the way. Mm-hmm. Many women especially have that. All right. That's why many of them become nurses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seriously. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's turning your liability into an asset, but meanwhile, there isn't a liability here. If in fact, like this flight attendant says, put your mask on first before you can help anybody else. We've got to take care of ourselves before we can help anybody else. All right. Yeah. Uh, Um, uh, Let's see. Oh, so why do I hold on to this resentment? Uh, Because it's easier to do nothing also because maybe I didn't know that I was holding, well, not maybe, I really honestly didn't know that I was holding on to all of these resentments before um, because I don't have clarity on what it is that I actually want to do with my life. So instead um, feeling the feels, you know, so instead of feeling the feeling of being, feeling uncertain uncertainty in my life, then I just go out and serve someone else because that's easier to do. Great narcotic. I'm sorry. It's a great narcotic. Yeah. To go out to help somebody else because it narcotizes, it anesthetizes my lack of self-worth. And so if I can serve somebody else, then I'm of value. Mm-hmm. I, my value comes from what I can give others rather than an internal sense of value. And therefore you will, you can never fill the hole. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. All right. And so at the top, you said what about your, your role, your perceived role? Uh, perceived role, uh, depleted and defeated and I, helpless I and like victim. The, the, the word, the connection to depleted and defeated woman. And what's the truth at the bottom? Um, that I'm lazy, question mark. <laughs> no, I don't like the word. It's a judgment yeah. and it's not true because here you are giving up part of your Saturday to do this work. You're clearly not lazy, but go yeah. ahead. Well, yeah, that's why I put a question mark next to it. But um, what else I wrote, um, when I'm confused or scared, I tend to give up. Sometimes I give up before I start. Yeah. Yeah. I, you use the word helpless a lot. Mm-hmm. throughout our conversation and it's an unhealthy conditioned response that you have to give you an excuse for not taking responsibility because mm-hmm. you're anything but helpless but somehow you need to act differently and embrace the fact that you do have responsibility and uh, the competency to take some action. It does take effort and it does take some knowledge and it probably takes some direction from other people, but you're not defeated and depleted. That's, That's your mirage to keep you in bondage. 
the fact is that you have um, taken on the, this victim role of helplessness for some, for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think I took it on because that's what I learned. Like, it doesn't feel like it's mine. And, no, and it's, now that I, I know it, like I can see, you know, where yeah. I learned it from. That's right. In fact, it's, there's a technical term in the psychology vocabulary, learned helplessness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a victim mode that allows us then not to take personal responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Anything else? Uh, no, it, it was really helpful. Thank you. Thank you very much for participating. It takes a lot of courage to do what you guys are doing. Hi, so uh, number eight, uh, other fears. Yes. Um, further uh, physical and emotional damage to myself and uh, fear of losing my brother if I detach from my mother. Oh, okay. Yeah. Whether that's and, short, it's a fear. That's okay. Yeah, good. Mm -hmm. And then uh, character defects. Um, I'm not usually like this, but I've been unkind, irritable, impatient, and codependent. Well, I've always been codependent, but. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there's a lot of tension building up here. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And then I, I, think I'm, I think I'm holding on to this so that I can blame her for how I feel. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah which is kind of well, hard to say, but I think, I think that's true. And so that you also don't have to confront. My sense is you have a deep fear of confrontation. I do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, I completely understand it, but nothing happens unless you confront it. Nobody knows unless you have clear communication. And I, the, the image I got when we were talking is, that you need to assume the role of parent. Yes. Yeah. And, and exactly. as it is to deal with obnoxious teenagers, that's what you have on your hand. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're being kind. I would have put her at about five. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I, five <laughs> is much easier to deal with. They're sweet and they're innocent. And uh, they also are easily intimidated. Teenagers are not. They're just obnoxious little criminals. <laughs> you can tell I don't have kids. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Uh, so um, did you read uh, what your role is at the top perceived role and what your realization is? So at the top, I said uh, I was an abused child. And at the bottom, you kind of gave me the answer before you knew about self-abused adult, letting, allowing myself and volunteering to be abused. That, that's a, wonderful. I mean, that is a synopsis of what we did talk about. That is correct. You're not an abused child. By definition, you're not a child. And you're not being abused, but you're allowing yourself to be abused. And you're, so you're self-abusive. Yeah, you don't have to allow that behavior. Now, there are consequences for you setting guidelines. There are consequences. And one of them is you saw, and I didn't anticipate that, that you might lose the relationship with your brother. That is a potential consequence. So obviously that means you need to communicate in advance with him so he's not 
surprised by this new behavior on your part. Yes, good, good idea. Yep, that's perfect. Uh, communication, you. communication is critical between amongst people. It is the one thing that's really missing. Most people will not be direct, uh, will not be truthful, will not say what they're thinking and feeling. You don't have to tell everybody everything, but you do need to communicate what it is you want. Otherwise, you're waiting for people to read your mind. And that hardly ever works. Right. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Workaholic, under-earning, overeater, alcoholic. It is work is where I run to to escape. And it is killing me. Okay. And yeah. I joke, I've been looking for an exit plan for the last several years other than death from the practice of law. But here I still am. Well, anyway, all right, let me just give you some of my colloquial wisdom in retirement because I've been retired now since 2006 and I did it very thoughtfully and very effectively for myself. So when I'm talking to people who are thinking about retiring, I say, do not run away from. Most people retire because they don't like their work or they whatever, they're bored or something, something's missing. So they run away from their work. No, that'll never end well. Paint a picture of what you will do with your time and your life, whether it's travel or what other it is that you want as a picture, the reason for retirement, then it'll make the planning a lot more effective in terms of titrating is a medical term for coming off of some type of medication that you have to come off slowly, sometimes when you're so connected to a career that really has satisfied you and paid you rather well, it's hard to disconnect. So don't do it abruptly, perhaps. Uh, right. do, do it over a, a one or two or three year period. But anyway, that's, that's a little bit of a personal advice. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what your uh, resentment is. Okay. Um... My resentment is toward my father for being a sexually uh, a sexual predator. However, he's okay. Look, he's been dead for over forty years, and I had a profound healing experience of my relationship with him when I was twenty-five. That was nearly fifty years ago. Okay, but I am still impacted by the hypervigilant behavior that his conduct generated in me. Um, so you so, have commitment for your father for this hyper uh, vigilance that you have. Right. The source of it emanated from his conduct. Right, right, right. Exactly. Okay. So what's your perceived role on the stage now with your father? I am a self-abandoning woman. Uh I, 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 you know, I have a hard time. Someone pointed this out to me being a victim, but you're know, perceiving myself to be a victim. But I, I almost, you know, I, I have been a victim of my own behavior in response to. Wait, 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 wait. Let me ask some questions, please. All right. Did you do any work in the third column previously? Uh, yes. On this particular issue? Yes. What's your self-esteem? Uh, 
Well, I, I wrote uh, abused daughter worthy of being loved. So forget the abused daughter. I'm a daughter that's worthy of being loved, good, worthy. And what's the fear? Uh, well, the, the fear is I use this as an excuse to avoid intimacy. All right. There's no, uh, there's no uh, wrong answer here. Use excuse. I'm just writing a note so I can keep on track. Right. Um, oh, all right. So your perceived role is traumatized daughter. Yes. Right? Right. So you're coming out of the third column, going into the fourth column, and your resentment toward your father is this current reaction that you've had for actually 40 years plus of uh, trauma connected to his misbehavior. Yes. Right. Good. We've got it. Traumatized daughter. All right. And when you feel that today at age 75, these are informations that you gave us, uh, how do you behave today at 75? How do you behave when you feel this trauma? What did you write? Um, I, uh, I withdraw. Yep. I physically feel tight. I yep. become tense. Yep. Um, and I dive into work to escape. Oh. Helping other people with their problems. You know, I don't have to look at myself. I don't know. Very insightful. Very insightful. That whole recitation. Very insightful. Number two. So what, what's underneath in the unhealthy thinking, self-centered thinking that's generating this anger? What number is that on the... Number two. Two, okay. Um, Sometimes I use words to oh, try... Selfish, the unhealthy thinking. Um, well, you know, I know that not all men are sexual predators. You know, I don't need... Uh, I, I can't... I don't want you editorializing. Right, I want okay. you to read what you wrote. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I didn't. I, I, that one I, I didn't do. Right, well, so, trying to be succinct. I don't want a story here. I want an right. answer to the question. Current, when you're feeling this feeling of trauma, where is it coming from in terms of self-centered thinking? My, my re response is, it's coming from fear. Um, all right. Fear of what? Fear of um, taking emotional risks. Um, What's the emotional risk? If I, uh, yeah, I've, if I make myself available to available men, uh, I may get rejected. Um, I may get hurt again. Yeah. That works, that works really well, actually. Your thinking is connected to fear, uh, which uh, is a conditioned response to a, a, a hurt that you experienced 40 years ago, and you don't want to ever feel that feeling again. Yes, correct. Yeah, no, that works for me. Um, I, I test it out to see if you resonate with it. Uh, number three, dishonest. 
Well, I'm using this as an excuse to avoid intimacy. Um, I am uh, hiding this from even my closest friends from childhood. So there's shame around this. Um, uh, like uh, the, my closest friends from childhood who knew my father, you know, yeah. you right. know, the, uh, the shame and hiding. Um, um, that that's Just pretty much it. All right. All right. So uh, have you had any therapy? Well, yeah, 10 years. And uh, but it's been like more than a dozen years since I stopped going to therapy. But I'm, you know, I, it helped. But I, I uh, apparently, you know, <laughs> this is still lingering. So apparently uh, it didn't. Uh, All right. So you stopped doing the therapy. Uh, why did you stop? Since, in fact, you didn't have it resolved. Uh, well, I, I my chronic anxiety dissipated. And I didn't feel like I needed it anymore. And we just seemed to be going in circles. Got it. A very good reason to stop with that therapist anyway. Right. Um, you're in a 12-step program? Yes. Have you ever done the steps out of the big book? Uh, I have not in a long time. The last time was in uh, UA and I quit at step four. So you didn't finish step four then. So what was... How long ago did you actually finish step four? Uh, it was uh, years ago in a um, OA, uh, year, year long. Okay. How long ago? A at least 10 years ago. Yeah, I'm assuming longer than 10 years ago. All right. Yeah. Uh, when you quit therapy. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Around the same time. Right. All right. And so dishonest is that you've not been willing to deal with this either through therapy or through the work. Right. All right. Number four, where are you afraid? Other than what you already mentioned. I, I think, I don't think I have anything to add. Okay. Well, that was a pretty, well, other than uh, afraid of being seen, you know, and found uh, deficient. Um, defective. But that's it. Yeah, defective. Yeah, permanently damaged by your trauma. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. How about number five? What did you write? Uh, my contribution to the event. I never told my mother. I protected her from that. It was toward my cousin. I was hypervigilant. She lived with us for a year and I never left her alone with um, my father. Uh, I never let any of my girlfriends come to my house. This uh, is history, so. Yeah, that's his, okay, that was my contribution. I, I'm, you know, I, I um, well, I don't know, what do you do? You're not, uh, I, I don't know what else. I, I don't, you know, it was, um, uh, where are you responsible for your reaction today? Well, I, I am looking at this effects of this behavior and I can seek help. Um, but you haven't? No. Over 10 years? Right. 
So I, I have not taken responsibility to deal with my trauma, with my feelings. Correct. I, I escape into addictive behavior to anesthetize this fear. So let's go to number nine, character defects. Did you write anything there? Uh, yeah, fear of intimacy. Oh, nine, nine. Um, uh, you know, uh, retracting, uh, you know, into the illusion of protection that this guard all shield I have erected around me will keep me safe. Um, hiding. Um, yeah, kind of like the the chronic delay and denial, kicking the can down the road. You know, uh, yes, it's all all true. The illusion, then you escape into your work because it narcotizes you with a sense of value. It allows you to escape from your feelings. Okay, great. So number ten, what did you write? The benefit or value. <sighs> If I don't have to take responsibility, and, and you know, I, I can continue to use this as an excuse to um, continue to be attracted to safe men because they're safe, or actually, what I'm doing is making myself unavailable. Works. All of, that. All of that works. Yep, exactly. And so rather than the traumatized child, who are you? Well, the self-abandoning woman. Um, yep, that would work. And what else? In a prison of my own making. Um, yep. Burying myself in work. Yes, all true. And um, rather than the traumatized child, uh, I'm a self-traumatizing woman. That works. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. See, one of my colleagues, Dr. Berger, who does a lot of emotional sobriety workshops with me, he says, as a psychologist, to name it is to tame it. And I love that. Because that's why I, I, I really push people to be specific with regard to the use of their words and put some color into it. Because then is and when you say it out loud, it's kind of like, and I just felt it from you. It's kind of like you identified with it. But yeah. now, now the work begins. <laughs> yeah, and this is exhausting. Well, like doing what I'm doing, I mean, doing what I'm doing, the way I'm doing it is exhausting and 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 killing you know so, so thank you yeah, no 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 and so please engage in that prayer practice that i described for the removal of deep resentment on a daily basis you're not praying for your dad you're praying for yourself for healing yeah yeah it's it's so powerful after three months i began to recognize that one of the deep resentments was removed and then it was several weeks later on a daily prayer basis, all of them were gone and they've never returned in 30 years. Not even a hint of mint. Yeah, right. Good. Thanks so much, Maureen. Really.
Thank you, Herb. Um, I, you said something that just basically was exactly what I wanted answered um, um, towards the end of the meeting. Um, Cause I was struggling with it. I left, I was in Al-Anon. I left my, well, my sponsor dumped me actually. We went through the whole 12 steps, but she, and through the big book of AA, which I deeply love and appreciate. But I, for me, I love that you say, and this is what I agree with, that the whole point of the 12 steps is to develop and enhance and strengthen a connection with a higher power. And yep, that's yep. where the solution is for me. Um, for her, the solution was go out and help people. And for me as a codependent, I had to keep re like every time she said that I would cringe. And finally I spoke up and said, that's not the solution for me. Um, and, and so it, it turned me off to all 12 steps and I stopped going to Al-Anon and it kind of scared me, but thank God you brought me back because I really strongly felt aligned to this primary purpose of developing and strengthening a relationship to a higher power. And I love that you Mm -hmm. said you, what you said to the other woman, which I can't quote you because I didn't write it down, but I just want to thank you for, um, for resolving that dilemma for me because you know and i and i still want a sponsor because i was getting through my um i was continuing like the work was working me my um amends were powerful and still more people were coming up and i still want to go through that process with somebody but i did not want to get involved in another relationship where they say go out and help people as the answer so I just want to say that. So I feel like it's divine intervention that I'm here and I heard from you what I heard. Well, and I want to comment on it because wonderful that you heard it that way. A hundred percent without any qualifications, I'm endorsing, underlying, highlighting what you just said. Wonderful. In the in the perspective though of the context of this work, See, step 11 is about this relationship with power. And step 12 is about then allowing that power to seep out through us to other people. So I see that it's not one side or the other side. It's not stay in meditation and prayer. And it's not go out and help other people. It's like a coin having two sides. Yes. And fails. Yes. And I absolutely, I have a sponsee. I'm in therapy. And so I say like, my sponsor is my therapist, which is not exactly great, but I feel like my practice, everything, 12 steps, all the spiritual stuff by my giving it to her, strengthening it for me also like, so definitely want to be the light that you say, or not be the light, but be the lantern for the light to you know, be flowing for the people around me. So, but thank you. But I do still feel like it would be great to have a sponsor who also believes this way. That is correct. That is correct. And that's what we all need. And especially you, because you've had a unfortunate experience. Bill said it this way. We keep our head in the clouds and our feet on the ground. Hmm. Perfect. So we'll pray the serenity prayer. It's the the heart of the matter. We want wisdom to be able to navigate life. Wisdom. 
the ability to be conscious and to be compassionate, to know what to do and to do what we want to do is the right thing. The serenity prayer talks about what can I influence? Doesn't use the word control. What can I influence outside of me? What can I influence inside of me? Not much. Let's pray that serenity prayer for wisdom. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thanks, everybody. You've been a great group.